Hey there, folks. Two things for the recording of this episode that we wanted to just put right on the top here. Uh, First off, Thomas had a small audio issue where it ended up recording out of a different microphone than intended. So we've done our best to repair that quality, of course, but it's a little bit downgraded from, you know, kind of the usual thing. Sorry about that on this one. Uh, Next up is the sort of general warning for this episode. Obviously, uh, gambling is featured throughout as well as a suicide attempt um, or a, a path towards suicide. So just want to put that warning out there at the very top of this episode. Uh, consider skipping that chapter with that character if, uh, if you want to avoid any kind of discussion surrounding those topics. A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through chapter 53. Through 53. Hey there, this is Cross. I'm PJ. And I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Aaron. I'm Thomas. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I very nearly introduced myself again, and I was going to see if everyone would go around the horn reintroducing themselves. But around the <laughs> horn, time, and I'm PJ yeah. and I'm PJ and I'm PJ. PJ is currently wearing a short king shirt mm-hmm. which is very offensive to me ha. Mm. although because i know it is not ironic. a short king i under i know some of the stolen behind it and so i will allow it but as the <laughs> reigning short king of this podcast you're on watch <laughs> stolen valor noted stolen, <laughs> stolen <laughs> if, if we cut pj in half it could be two short kings then yeah so, I'm going to get a, a tall lad shirt, I guess, and then we'll balance out. There you go. Tall that drink of water. Perfectly. <laughs> that will work out perfectly. So today, of course, is our seventh episode. We're going to be talking about chapters 44 through 53. But before we go too much further, PJ, tell us about that featured cocktail. I made a cocktail that I have with the help of you lovely people. I think specifically Thomas. It is named the Caspenian Butterfly. It is two ounces of gin, one ounce of passion fruit puree, half an ounce of lime juice, three dashes of Angostura bitters, and it is all shaken and topped with tonic water. The picture that I have to go with it is in a very petite, dainty glass, so I also have a little like mini glass <laughs> on the side. <laughs> Ultimately, I think I need to do some editing for it. I don't think I needed the lime juice. The passion fruit already gives some 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 acid. And I think it kind of needs a little bit more sweetness. Just to, to round it out. But overall, it's nice and refreshing and a little bit tropical and effervescent. That's nice. For our, our boy, Corey. Caspinian butterfly. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have drinking? I'm on that water grind once again. It's deep in allergy season, so I am constantly medicated. And so do not want to throw 
any alcohol into the mix. What kind of medication? All of it. <laughs> if I don't Fair see enough. Hat Man, then I might die. I'm following Thomas's lead. I'm drinking some throat coat tea because I have a cough. Are you going to say it or you want me to? What? Oh, no. Okay. Throat coat? My, that my joke? Like. Yeah. I had an off-air joke. It was dirty, though. And is I mean, not the only was one untold. coating their throat this week. No, Andon lost his throat coat <clears throat> this week. That's what I said. He's not the only one coating his throat. <laughs> it's a it's a sex joke, guys. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to explain it? Yeah, no, please. No, I think I think detail. actually, you know what? <laughs> Graphic detail. <laughs> what are you drinking, Ben? Ben, what are you having? I have a tumble root brewery slash distillery Moscow Mule. I found it in Aaron's fridge. We don't know where it came from. I have a drawer in my fridge where I just put things that people leave at my house. I thought it was this is a brewery out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, which I enjoy. I love that place. And so it's I like the I, Taj Mahal's on the back too. No, Moscow. I see. Moscow Who else enjoys Santa Fe? Mule. Thomas? No, Christian Hale in New Zealand. Uh, Great. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I absolutely back. adore that fun fact. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, not bad. Tastes kind of like a Moscow mule in a can. But probably flatter. They always taste flat in the can to me. It's got like a, I don't know, a little too much bite probably. I don't know. It's a little weird. Is it sugary? Yeah. I know. Blech. Cross. Well, I ran in and threw together a cocktail. I couldn't even perfectly tell you what is in this glass in ratios. But what I do know is that it is a drink composed of a little bit of gin, a little bit of vodka, a dash of Campari, a little bit of Cointreau, grenadine, shaken with lemon juice. So it's like a Long Island. It's delicious. I, I don't know what say, ratio I did. It's incredible. What? This is probably outdated. What do we now call suicides? <laughs> Jeez. The drink. Mm. I, it's fair point. You know when you'd go into Quick Trip or your gas station mm-hmm. and you'd get a little bit of everything? We used to call those a suicide. Yeah, yeah that's what I would call them, too. I, I heard that there was a change in term. <laughs> I can't think uh, of They sent an update. This. A tornado? <laughs> I've heard this. I think on New Girl, they talked about it in one of the episodes, but I don't remember what they say. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I grew up in the 90s. That's true. Right. Right. Graveyard is the new name. Oh, hmm. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. Graveyard. I don't like, I don't like it nearly as sure? much. I think these kids need to go back to branding college. <laughs> well, I no longer do it anyway, so. Right. I've right. grown out of it. I, I knew that there was something there. Tastes good. I also have tea accompanying that, of course, as a, always a backup beverage. So, You guys need to get on your tea game. Yeah, no joke. I'm What's not a big doing? tea fan. I'm an American. Is the issue. Oh my god! <laughs> More of a coffee girl, but this is necessary. We fought a yeah. war over this shit. We did, and we won. <laughs> we fought what? a war to, to keep the tea without being taxed. We wanted the tea. It's true. Why'd they throw it in the ocean the then? The <laughs> yeah. Have any of you seen Hamilton? Yes. No. No. <laughs> I did. Okay, so before we talk about the chapters too far, PJ, Ben, Aaron, how'd you feel about this week's reading? It was explosive. God damn it. Surprising. Walking off. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've had enough. Brutal. Already ruined it. Uh, I just like that our favorite main character is back in action. <laughs> you know the Andy Dwyer meme? That, that's the face I made when Barrow came back. Isn't that like an exciting voice? No, it was like a like a surprised. But he's kind of excited. Excited, surprised. I was excited for PJ. Well, I knew Barrow was coming back because I'm the smartest man alive, so I wasn't very surprised. All right, yeah. relax, and relax a little bit. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I was very surprised by the happenings this week. The death. I was aghast. I was shocked. I, there there was this moment where I remember Thomas and I were picking kind of highlight moments and it's like, do we put this in this week or do we put it in like as a cliffhanger? And we definitely sat on this one, I think the longest of any decision that we decided to make. And we're like, it all happened so fast. You don't really get a sense of things. It could have been a good cliffhanger, but it doesn't leave like the, the sort of question of what's going to happen next quite the same. So we settled to kick off the week with a bang, as it were. <laughs> and there's there's everyone's shaking their heads for the record for everyone listening at home we're, we're everyone's time. upset at the jokes <laughs> cool all right so with that let's get into chapter 44 the man in the middle we open on a dark night at the docks in port massey under the watchful gaze of the iron eye bridge we followed the perspective of willem reams longtime foreman of boss cromner and his crew getting off for taking a little off the top of course, we know that he survives, but I really appreciate this sort of character and perspective change that we get here, looking at the operation and the thought process difference between these criminals. Not like we couldn't have made the assumptions based on the stereotypes associated, but it's cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Dark and storm. I see a heavy fog. Over the bay. Mood. Some Dick Tracy shit. I was definitely expecting Boss Cromner to be a little bit more present throughout the story going forward but <laughs> quick burn that's fine so he's just in jail who's say jail is the end that's fair that's later though is this does the end of this chapter where he he jumps off the boat yes okay yeah i was, I was like wait did that happen in the next chapter <laughs> No, no, it's a, it's all in one chapter and it all happens pretty quick and it gives mm. us so from entering the chapter we we hear about the first delivery going well and then by the end of the chapter we're on the last delivery of the jade and it kind of progresses just with kind of the thought process and kind of what's happening. One of the moments of course is is a little quote here. Reams shook his head. Neither of the prior three shipments had been underweight. In fact, both had been over 30 kilos. When Reams brought this up, the boatman had shrugged and said we give more for the man in the middle to share. And I think that this poses kind of a multifaceted question or like a multi-angled question of, is this something that the Kekanese actually do? Is this something that Hilo did against Boss Cromner? Is this Boss Cromner setting him up? And I'm curious as to what you all think on sort of that side of things. I kind of took it as face value. Like, oh, they just... They know that the middleman's going to skim anyways, so they always add a little more. I feel like it might be a setup to sow some discord. That's kind of the idea behind this in the first place, to get them this jade and have them start fighting each other over it. So it seems like a pretty good idea. Or maybe just Hilo, you know, he tips his Uber Eats drivers really well. 
in this case. <laughs> I, I think if it was face value and intentional, they'd go like 26 kilos and not even mention it. And just like let them <laughs> kind of do that on their own. But a whole like 20% overweight is for me, for me, it screamed setup, but I don't know yet. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that this is something that we necessarily have the strictest of answers on either. So it's more of like a, could this be a helo game? Could this have been a boss chronometer setting him up to test him, you know, per helos ask, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways I think to, to read this. I don't, um, I don't see helo like, scheming with boss cromner though mm, no not I, suggesting that they're working closer together yeah. more that boss cromner is paranoid about willem i have a question that probably doesn't even isn't even worth parsing but the tetanese and no pete specifically are supplying the jade right so how is boss cromner possibly inflating the number i'm not suggesting that he's inflating the number i'm su- i'm suggesting that He's paranoid that he's skimming anyway. Right. Okay. That made sense. Yeah. That's so a, it's it's paranoia without the number actually being existing. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. And then it's just actually okay. Yeah. But he actually is given something on the Kikinese side. So. But I like what Ben said. That makes sense. Like the mm-hmm. whole point of all this is to sow discord, and we see towards the end of this chapter and the end of this week's chapters that they are starting to kill each other off. So it's working. Totally. Yeah, I that read. Cool. All right. Cross I, I think it's a fun thing to ponder. Go ahead. Before you get into the meat of this chapter, I wanted to shout out what the waterway is called, because I think it's awesome, unless you had that. I don't. So it's called the Silver Run, officially, which is pretty cool by itself. But then the Vice Canal, love that. Just a cool name for a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for like a smuggler, like it's a la Smuggler's Cove or something similar. It just has that sort of innate yeah. beef vibe about it. Mm-hmm. Back alley deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally like it. Uh, for me, this is a pretty straightforward chapter. Uh, there's there's this moment where a character is called Moth and it's, it reminded me immediately. We, we have an issue with the number of Tims and friends that we have. And so we refer to our Tim as Moth as well. And it was just this funny moment of, why, oh, my God, why is, <laughs> what is this? Why is Tim Moth? Tim because Moth-y. we have too many Tims. He's so, Mothy? Yeah. Tim- Timothy well, has not- Moth in it. <laughs> yeah, he, he just he chose it himself. Yeah. Just did went, he choose it I'm himself? Be called Moth. He did. He did. Okay. He was wearing his Manchester Orchestra butterfly shirt. And I think that's where he looked down and went, Moth. And that was, you know, his name in that room that night because there were too many Tims. So I'm, I'm such sense. glad that came to light because I felt bad for having him in my phone as Moth for so long. <laughs> if he didn't like it. Moth. For the record, for any, anyone listening at home, the Tim that we are talking about is our producer, Tim, as well. So this is Tim, the web guy, who does all of our stuff. So, A moth yeah. that does webs. Ooh. Ooh. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. So there, there is this question, of course, of Reem's survival, which is really exciting. I mean, all, all of this all happens so fast. There's this quick flash of violence as he's approached and then shot at, has to dive into the river to avoid the bullets from from Cromner's other thug. There's this question of, you know, who turned in who or where did this come from? Of course, we already kind of talked about that. But 
we we kind of know the meat of where some of this goes. But we do we think that Reams continues to be a character throughout? Is he replacing or filling in somewhere? What do we think about his his dive and narrowly avoided assassination attempt? I feel like he'll pop back up. Don't yeah, we know I think that he's he pops going back to up? smuggle himself to KCON and then he's going to team up with Barrow and they're going to <laughs> ignite the new jade or the new green and really legitimize themselves as Don't we find out in one of the chapters that he's I don't think teamed so. up with somebody? Not I, I think later there's a little bit that he's made it to a different group, but oh, I, I'm thinking okay. more long term. But we can gotcha. we can also talk about it then for the most part. I mean that's yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be back. Sounds like he might actually be the guy in Espinia leading the cruise now, or trying to take it over at least. I feel like he might be our main kind of viewpoint into that world. Might, might become the. And boss of the cruise. I think like he's going to be our, our viewing glass into the crew side of the story. POV. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, this is a pretty quick chapter. A lot of these are just kind of rapidly paced. So with that, it's going to 45. Do we have to? Is my question. <laughs> we got it. We got to try. You, chapter... you did text me angry when I said that this was a crazy week i just i have to jump in i am on cold medicine but the chapter 44 man in the middle i started seeing i'm looking at the man in the mirror but middle and then you said a promise in the park and i immediately pat benatar promises in the dark (laughs) (laughs) anyways i'm having a, a internal party over here thought you guys would want to join me but it's yeah, my favorite I'm michael so jackson that, song and now i'm i appreciate the, the invite unfortunately i will have to decline <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, I, pat benatar is pretty cool no comment on Jump. michael jackson continue <laughs> chapter 45 a promise in the park we open with a window into the domestic and clan life of the leading family of No Peak. Wen ruminates on her annoyance with Hilo of late for bringing the children to the park for a fun picnic out. The Grand Duchess arrives to pick up Wen and the kids, and though she at first believes it to be Hilo, she realizes that her brother Ken is behind the wheel moments before it explodes. Thinking fast, Wen guides the children to the safety of a nearby lantern man, Taylor, to await extraction from this suddenly dire situation. Hilo arrives and orders his family taken home, but not before when it strikes a promise of vengeance from him. So, you know, not necessarily the promise I thought we were doing in the park, but mm. that's showbiz. Showbiz. And I feel not, not you know great. the Peloton guy. I feel like him right now. I don't I don't I don't want to do this. I don't really want to talk about it that much at all the peloton yeah. guy yeah there's just a meme it doesn't matter anyway. i don't understand that <laughs> reference i didn't get um, it you're getting different memes than we are that's fine <laughs> just you know age anyway, range wise the chapter opens up with when it opens with his exact quote when was annoyed with her husband and then we get you know the reason behind her annoyance 
and also learn that she wants to go back to work and all that stuff. So based on that initial setup, how did you guys think this chapter was going to go? I mean, I didn't know where it was going, but I definitely didn't think it was going to end up with an ex- like make cannon a thousand pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Even when the car exploded, I was like, did he get up his strength <laughs> or something? Yeah. Can he steal out of that? I did have that specific thought. He would have had to have known. I mean, he blew up before he even knew it happened. Right. Tough. Tough. Yeah, I I don't think I was like paying attention enough to think it the chat it, it didn't seem like something was foreboding. It was just right. like Oh, we're yeah. going to the park. Okay, whatever. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was like a quick like make like make when with the kids chapter. Thinks that or she maybe she's meeting an informant or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I I didn't think about it too deeply until Make Ken was already exploded. So <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was going to be much more wholesome. Like mending things and easing Wen's mind from Hilo mm-hmm. surprise them at the park. I'll be more present. Yeah. Things are calming down. I can... Nope. I did think, you know, Wen, for the most part, seems to be very understanding, and even here, she's very understanding of Hilo's role as Pillar and how that means the plan has to come first. And she gets it, and she's all she's up with it, and it's no big deal. But it is annoying. And that reminded me of, I'm not going to spoil it, but a relationship in the Invincible comic that has a very similar dynamic where both parties are understanding of the situation of being superheroes and what that entails. However, it's still, you know, some of those little details, those little pesky life world saving missions, they get on the nerves from time to time. (coughs) Anyway, that was just for me. What did we do? No, I... I'm I'm with that to some degree. Right, I just I, want to, at yeah. the very least, consent because I I think that that is one of those things where like as power or influence escalates, it's just as annoying. Like we have the same human tendencies regardless, mm-hmm. and the same things continue to annoy us despite either power dynamic or uh, just real world issues. I don't know. I think kids bring in a lot of extra stress too. Mm-hmm. None of us have mm-hmm. kids, but yeah, true. It seems like friends with more kids have a lot more problems with their spouses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck them kids. Especially now there's there's three kids. <laughs> One of them's all agitated. The other two are getting old enough to it fight. Just less sleep. You know, less energy. Mm-hmm. More stress. Well, when can't do it all. That's why she has her brothers, or had. And it leads us to a nice little <laughs> breakfast conversation. Ugh. A nice little breakfast scene, which I thought was nice. You know, a nice little look, a little window into life in no peak and we get uncle ken uncle tar very different in how they handle things i just like you know ken spoiling the babies giving them treats sneaking them little things and then tar with his absolutely unhinged lesson about why brothers shouldn't fight this came before the explosion right we should have known something was going to happen you can't have a cute moment Mm. about relying (laughs) on your brother Mm -hmm. and then have them both survive wow right yeah you've let the pierce brown trauma fade from your minds and you haven't uh yeah i need to get that i need to be more suspicious Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would like i have a note for tar and it's that toddlers aren't really supposed to have grapes anyway 
And so putting grapes into a toddler's mouth and then clamping it shut to reenact putting Jade into somebody, maybe not the best idea. Pretty wild. <laughs> are toddlers I, I like... wouldn't let them babysit my children. No, can maybe. Like, why are we even telling them that story? Yeah, why do they even know anything about... And you about heard it already. ...the story. You killed him. Quite concerning. <laughs> How old is Nico at this point? Like, four? I think so. Like you shouldn't know that him. his family... You shouldn't know... ...buries people alive. Look! <laughs> He's gonna get to the point of what happens with mom, <laughs> I think. You should know about... <laughs> action figures and monster trucks, I feel like. Yeah. And when it's just like, listen to your... Or dolls or whatever. There can be good guys, bad guys, but not bur- murdering people alive. Burying them alive. It's a little dark. Murdering them alive. Yeah. Murdered hey, alive. Murdered alive. Isn't, hmm. <laughs> Isn't everyone murdered until they're unalive? Can, can you murder a dead brain. person? No. All it's right. taking life. But anyway... What do you guys think about when wanted to go back to work? Not surprised. Well, before she wants to go back to work and go back to work. She deserves it. Like, she needs to get to her fake job so that she can keep helping the clan. Mm-hmm. She's apparently got a real fake job. But that's why she wants <laughs> to go back to work. I have that in my notes when we get there. <laughs> so that she can... This is hard. Right. But she can't, like aid the clan as well if she didn't have a excuse to like go places mm-hmm. yeah but that pretty much brings us to the explosion which we touched on pretty extensively already I feel like and then Wen's reaction to that which was so gutting and like so just a lot a lot going on there for me it was wild that she couldn't even like she was so worried about her children can even really react mm-hmm. or like grieve her brother or until she saw a helo. Yeah. That's pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Keeping all those feelings in and like not even engaging in them. How rough her that must ability have been. to be rational was really impressive. It was. I kind of felt like this whole like promise me thing was a little I don't know. Like, she should know that, of course, Hilo's gonna do the whole Hilo vengeance thing. Mm-hmm. But, I think she was just like, yeah. you guys are gonna say the quote, but I feel like that quote is important just because she's like searching for something in particular and she finds like some reassurance out of that, I think, even though she knows that Hilo's gonna kill somebody over this <laughs> kill lots of people yeah yeah I like she needed to see it to feel it specifically because she he comes in and he looks scared for the first time i think is how she phrases it and that is what makes her need that promise more than anything else like not about like the kids and i are gonna be okay is kind of how i took it get the fucker who did this yeah that makes sense I think there's also something that comes up a little bit later in the section, the hot headed horn that Hilo was, that perception has kind of faded in the last six years. So this is requesting him to come back to form 
I think. A yeah, like bit. giving him and, permission to give into that. And and giving him, I saw it as like her giving him support in doing that and like knowing that he would do it anyway or assuming he would do it anyway, but like saying, I'm behind you in this in whatever like that. way she can. Yeah, that makes Good sense. read. Yeah, and then I just want to close it out with a quote if there's nothing else anyone has to chew on. Okay. So it's when she's extracting that promise from Hilo. She searched his face and found what she needed. The black danger in his eyes. The shock and fear that had been there darkening into the promise of violence. Hilo about to fuck shit up. Black danger. Mm-hmm. is like a shark. Yeah. Or like a snake. Like a doll's eyes. And that's creepy now, PJ. Like a what? Yeah, you just, you shifted it entirely. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's from Jaws. Talking about the shark size. Yes, Sorry. I will watch Coraline because the other mother terrifies me. I will not watch You like the buttons? <laughs> no, it's too scary. And the cat scares me too. Sounds like you have watched it. <laughs> I haven't. Night I've of the Living like Dummies? Trailers. Huh? You ever read Night of the Living Dummies? Goosebumps. Goosebumps. That's a good trip. I was really into Night of the Living Dummies. I was uh, terrified like... by the Left Behind books. That's what I was reading. That is, I mean, depending on the time frame when you're reading them, if you're comparing Goosebumps is that the weird to the Left Christian Behind, stuff? I get it. Christian Apocalypse stuff. Yeah. No. Nice. Don't want to get left behind, Ben. I never read that stuff. I was not a weird Christian. You were a weird Got Catholic. Got him. Ken's dead. Yep. It's so sad. I I just wanted to throw in that, like, at at the end of this, and obviously we have another death coming up in the next chapter. Comparing the two sort of grief cycles, I think, is is important in the way that they immediately react to something versus the way that they handle it, and. Like Thomas had highlighted with uh, the when sort of the immediate protective instinct of, of the children, despite losing one of her two lifelong champions, is is huge. I think. Yeah, wish I could say more. I'm just, yeah. you know, I don't know why, but like this has really hit me super hard this time. My guy Ken, big fan. He was starting to really blossom this book. I knew this happened, obviously, but I just still got me, got me good. Were you this very sad about it, Aaron? Up. Was I sad? Yeah. No. I wasn't really either. Because you guys didn't see the vision of... The I wasn't super Ken attached Shea to shipping. Ken or Tar. I don't know. Yeah, I'm wondering why. If I'm picking a make, I'm, I'll pick when, you know. Right. I'd be sad if she died. She's the number one. With like- I mean, I was shocked, but after getting over that initial shock and kind of disappointment of, like, no more make Ken, I was like, yeah. All right, we're moving on. Possibly also no more make Char because he's going, he's spiraling. He's not. He seems like he's going to do something stupid. Yeah. I probably wasn't that sad because I always had trouble like remembering them them apart, like who was who. Mm. Same. (laughs) Between the brothers, tired first. Like to me, they were like twins. Like they were like the same person. Cross were you? I did actually. I was very sad. I was, I was, I will, I will consent that I think that there's something to be said about like grieving the empty space that maybe we haven't hit yet to some degree, but you know, that, that kind of is what it is to some degree. I was definitely sad on the second pass, especially noting all of the highlights that Fonda was kind of setting up with Ken very clearly in the way that he was 
truly excelling in a way that even Hilo never was as a horn after struggling for so long after he had to pick up the mantle when Hilo had to become Pillar. So there's there's some of that. And then you start to get the emotional investment in his success when you start kind of narrowing in on it. And it it, it hit me in the face this time. I would agree. I, I had a similar reaction this time. Something that has gone kind of unaddressed, but I'm I'm sure it's on the minds of a lot of the green bones in the clan in the aftermath. This is a very stark change of pace for the violence in the city. It, it, it is unprecedented as far as I can tell, as far as the, the honor of taking down a high ranking green bone goes like there is none to it. So I, I don't know if we just haven't run into something like that and it happens once in a while or assassinations take place in forms that we're, we haven't been exp- like exposed to, but it felt like a like we've entered into a new era of warfare, a much more guerrilla and brutal and unhonorable way of fighting each other. Mero has a lot to say about that in the next chapter. So yeah, that's I'm, fair. I'm definitely with you. Yeah, they kind that's of touch on it next chapter, I think. Yeah. But but I, I still think the point stands is that part of the reason for a lot of the shock is obviously this is outside of the terms of engagement and the terms of engagement have been Aisha for so long. Yeah, especially I think because like the clans are publicly at peace. And so mm-hmm. like we did like Lon was gunned down last book, which was like six ish years ago at this point. But now there's been two years of peace and tensions were sort of on the rise, so people were clued in. They're like, it's not un like non inconceivable that, you know, a high ranking member of No Peach would be taken out in some way. And it does seem like Greenbones use guns a little bit to like when they're doing hits like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, things are evolving. One is conceivable in in the rules of Aisho, and yes. the other is an act of terrorism. That's like that's yep. your levels of differences. We we made this the the sort of comment about nine eleven. I think last week or the week prior, and and sort of the way that like flights were impacted and things like this. This is sort of a a culture shock to some degree, to a much smaller degree, of course. But as a, a counter example or a similar example, this seems to elicit a similar effect on a smaller scale. With that, chapter 46, Unforgivable. Rushing home, Shay finds the call household to be on high alert, with only the most trusted allowed in. Assumptions about the attack fly around in Shay's head as she is reeling from the reality of what's occurred, but nothing is fully making sense. And then the unthinkable happens. Marrow turns himself in for the crime. After an explanation as to how they got him, Juen, the assumptive horn of the clan, intends to keep Mero alive for further interrogation. She sees the path of torture in Mero's future and recalling her failure to kill Doru, kills the man that she loved so dearly. So this is an intense chapter following an intense chapter, just sort of absolute back to back, no fallout, no question, no scheming, no trying to resolve it. It's it's a moment of a character for Mero that we'll get to to some degree in a moment. But she immediately in her head jumps to Ite because Ite is the rule breaker. She has for a long time. She's hopped over succession. She's never she's similar, similar to the chapter in the last book, skirted Aisho, but never so flagrantly done something like this. And then that's quickly debunked as we find out that it's Mero. This made me sad for mm. Shay. It also made me roll my eyes pretty hard at Marrow. Yeah, this fucking guy. Yo. This fucking guy. 
I was pretty upset talk, with him. Talk about what made you roll his eyes. Sorry, Cross. No. Like, he couldn't have... Want, like, right after Zapunio and those guys came in, he couldn't have called Shay. I mean... He's just got to be a little bit more forward-thinking here. I know he was like, I couldn't do that and couldn't get you involved or whatever, but also, like, you can't let some people onto the grounds either. Yeah. What if they killed Shay? Come on, man. Come on, dude. I don't know. I mean, if that if it were to have been thwarted, I have no doubt that that threat would have been followed up on. Like they would have taken out his family. But I truly like, like I truly believe Shay, he I mean Shay that. and Hilo are smart. They could let them on while knowing they're there and then you know See what they're doing. I kind of think he did the only thing that he could do. He protected his family and he gave himself up to die. I mean, this is what he was like. I don't know. That was kind of his only decision. It's I I think that I'm I'm with you, Ben, on that. I don't think that he really had a path outside of this to some degree. He he could have done a lot of things, but I think even he and this gets into kind of the thing that PJ was bringing up and a quote even, why did I do it? Did I hurt you that badly? Yes, but that's not why. And then he gets into the sort of specifics of the the family and the way that they wouldn't have been able to reach into another country to save them and to pull them out in the moment. And that's, that's sort of a tough reality to swallow is that the clan isn't everywhere and cannot be everywhere. You know, we've, we've got our little island, we've got our little town, we've got our little party groups, but ultimately you're not a government you're not a world you know class organization and i don't think hilo would have prioritized protecting no. a bunch of shatarian like unconnected family members no. also that would mean admitting that he was half shatarian which hilo already doesn't like which hasn't been brought up to begin with you know not hilo mm. but i just feel like he should have told shay yeah. And then, like, you can't tell anyone, here's why. And then she could have, like, shaded it and thought of a fourth option. So, it seems like, you know, the night of Poppy's wedding, he might have said mm. it had she not, you know, be told so him honest that she knew would lead him away, which the book it says she knew would lead him away. Just to give Ben and I our flowers, as they say. Exactly. I can buy myself flowers. <laughs> Just constant. He's on um, shuffle today. I'm on shuffle. Was that? <laughs> was the wedding after the meeting? Yes. It was after the request okay. for the meeting. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Like after he yeah. was, the people came to his office. Yeah. Gotcha. And then she's like, oh, he wanted to tell me something. Now I get it. But this whole thing is tough on. Shay, I felt really bad for her. Yeah. Could you kill your this... ex? <laughs> I'll not answer that question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a was joke. much more intense than the previous somehow. <laughs> yeah. Also, that is... just before we move on completely, I rolled my eyes at Morrow because he was like, I never would have done it if I thought they would have hurt you or the kids. And it was like, they got you to do it by threatening your nieces. What do you mean? <laughs> I think they're yeah, exactly. Like, Errol, what are you? What's going on, my guy? There was some naivete. 
from old Marrow and that. He's just weak, thin-blooded. I was waiting for someone to say it. <laughs> because I, I, I do think that there is an element there. And I think it is naivete. Book smart, street dumb. And this is a this you have to be street smart here at, at a minimum <laughs> in order to make it. If some gangster dudes come up to you and start blackmailing you, basically, and what inside of a very secret complex, I'm going to have to ask you to put two and two together on that one. Obviously, someone's going to die. Exactly. <laughs> And I think there's probably like two choices on who that person's going to be. Right. So, and somehow we got and option C. So Yeah, true. We, we escaped narrowly without it being either A or B or D, which is the, when in the kids, you know, right. like truly that's that's the the narrow miss that that we experienced in the last chapter. But. Yeah, well. He does redeem himself a little by turning himself in. Yeah, like I said, I think this was he got himself down a path that this was the only thing that he could do. So I will give him a little credit for that. It's the honorable thing to do, I would I would posit. I want to know what are the mechanics of this car bomb? Because this seems so like open the door. It seemed like it was just like the the ignition. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, that feels so like unreliable. I know. I was thinking that too. Like, you what if they just, just didn't have to drive anywhere that day, and it just explodes in the garage? Right. Yeah. Great, great plan. You ruined your one shot. Well, I would have gone could, with poison. I, with <laughs> personally, poison the whole thing. Yes. the The car bomb, to me, at the very least, the way that it reads is that it doesn't get initiated until ignition and that's your flip switch that's for the time, when the, time the timer starts, starts. Gotcha. yeah not so, not just like a loose time clock that's, what I was that's the only way that it makes any sense timing it so that whoever the driver that fetches the car has has time to go pick up helo yep then, okay yeah and then the passenger side is what he opened right so when the helo opens the door presumably that's okay now we're, now i'm getting it okay. no i thought i thought Ken was in the car. And he was like he was. opening the door, like opening his door. That's how I pictured it. He's getting That's out, was he? Yeah, like he's but... getting out of the car on the driver's side. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, yeah, you're right. There, there's regardless, there's a lot at risk with this plan, which is also why it didn't go correctly. Like, this mm-hmm. is not a foolproof plan because they are just a bunch of Barakon thugs that are like half gangsters attempting to <laughs> do what they can, right? Like, that's. And I think they're like, even if it doesn't blow anyone up, it's still a warning. Mm-hmm. They're just trying and to also, blow some shit up. This was the number two team. It wasn't Barrow and Moot, the A team. We got the B team out there. <laughs> Probably just watched Casino. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. That's great. That movie starts with a car bomb. Yeah. I Just FYI. For everyone at home. Thank you. And for me. <laughs> yeah. There's a strong introduction here that I want to talk about with uh, Juen being introduced as mm-hmm. a, a mostly new character. You know, he'd been mentioned by name a couple of times before this to kind of build him up and in the background, but for him to be pulled to the foreground so heavily. What'd you guys think of our introduction to, to Juen, especially as a quasi clan mediator here, all of a sudden from first fist to. Big porn. logistics guy, apparently. Sounds like maybe. He'd be a good horn. 
Seems like he's pretty good for the job. He had a- well, a good counterhorn to yeah. creepy guy on the mountainside. Yeah. Now Swen. Yeah. It seems like he's already created a pretty <laughs> great rapport with Shay as weatherman. And like the, hopefully that means them sharing this sort of skirting the rules, as it were, together for Shay to execute Morrow forges a bond that allows them to work well together. That's my hope, at least. Seems like a reasonable guy. Mm-hmm. So you think maybe like a little Hilo doesn't need to know everything type of vibe. Yeah. Some discernment. Mm-hmm. Or Weatherman reads the clouds, the horn reads the streets. I don't know. Horn helps, maybe? <laughs> the puddles. Horn gets the umbrella. Puddles. Yeah, there you go. That's a better metaphor. Yeah, I, I appreciate Juan for what he adds entirely here. So, not that I want to steer back to Mero too far and kind of his, you know, sort of lowliness with the quote that I read. Why did you do it? Did I hurt you that badly? Yes, but that's not why. Reading into that a little bit and sort of the decision, this is like, I think to me, the most brutal sort of response is like, yeah, you actually did hurt me bad enough where I would consider something so severe. But ultimately, like, this is not me. Like, considering is very different than acting upon it. And just because it was in the back of my head and the way that I feel is very different than, you know, what I've done here. I don't know. What you, would you guys think about the sort of marrow post-mortem on the relationship? Tough breakup. Yeah, not surprised to hear that from him. <laughs> yeah. I... I don't know what to make of this because of what you guys brought up earlier in that he could have brought it up during that wedding kind of makes me feel like he is complicit in it to a certain degree. Well, like he, he was, he was going to bring it up and then Shay was like, bro, I killed our baby. Yeah. So he like wanted to talk to her about something, but still spit it out, Meryl. I would have maybe led with that and not, what are we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that nonsense. This guy. Yeah. Like if she point. answers wrong, then. Sorry, you're going to blow up. Like, yeah, you didn't want to be my girlfriend anymore or even entertain it. And so. I enabled the murder of your brother. Is that a deal? breaker? <laughs> <laughs> circle yes or no and, and like hands that on a note <laughs> basically but then takes it back at the last second crumples it up throws it on the ground after she opens her mouth and says two words yeah Mar- I, I, yeah. definitely a drama kid throughout this conversation I'm becoming less and less sympathetic for Let's the go. way that Mero handled it I I don't think I I think that there's some sympathy to be had, but I think that it is sort of the the death knell on the whole thing was that moment, right? Like that was that was the moment in which the the letter was sealed, and like he wasn't going to turn back. Mm-hmm. I I could gush for years about the way that Shay in like this page basically that happens of of her sort of reacting to the moment in which she both decides that she has to kill Marrow, the way that she politically goes through it because she sees the potential and the likelihood of torture from Tar, of course, for these deaths and from Hilo as, as sort of a comeuppance for Ken and her immediately wrestling with the guilt of her failing to kill Doru into the actual moment that she channels and kills him 
and then rushes away in what is perhaps the most emotional writing I've seen of any character in this entire series that I haven't cried reading any of these books again. And this absolutely put me on the ground while I was in the middle of a workout running. And I was like, I was just done. I, I had to stop. I went and started rowing. I was just done. So I don't know. Hit me like a wave. I was much more business-like. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why. <laughs> I was sad for Shay. I mean, like I was heartbroken for it Shay. Is about, it is sad about but, poor Shay. Like, it's not, it's not about Mero's death itself. It's about Shay's reaction to Mero's death. I'm trying to get over it. At the same time, you know what I mean? Like, you did, oh you did what had to be done. God. You saved him. Yeah. I mean, she Tough, kind of redeems but... herself and can forgive herself now for letting doru go at the at the very least if she can't forgive herself for for that choice or for that decision she can publicly own this killing which i think is a little bit different because i think this is this is more of a cruel edge but she didn't want to have the cruel edge that was never her her game Mm -hmm. the fact that she has to kill one of the few people that she's close to in the world I don't know. These these chapters are so emotionally this chapter in particular, that very end is so emotionally charged as she remembers different moments and they like flirt black with her brain and she has you know, it's the spreading cracks of memory that she recalls. I, I just there are lines in here that I, I love, I adore. It is beautifully written. Sorry, I was having a coffee written, fit. But like But this yeah, this is where I really felt for Shay and and then the next chapter we see her, she's like suffering more than from the other deaths. And it's because I think it's because Mero was more like helpless. So she felt even more responsible because he was, he was like powerless. Whereas, you know, Lon and her grandfather were these fortified figures. I don't know part of the game uh, so yeah i think with marrow it's like he he wouldn't have been involved at all if not for her so the whole this whole thing was kind of her fault just for dating him at all yeah so in that vein do you think shay would have reacted like this <coughs> just keeping herself in bed and like sequestering herself away from everybody for days and days on end if she hadn't killed him herself and let Mictar have his way with him, like is is this because she killed him, or is this because he did what he did and died? I think it's quote unquote killed him. You know, like she's responsible for his death and involvement, and that's what's causing all this pain and depression. And yeah, I think either way. Whether it was Tara that killed him or her, she's going to be in a pretty similar spot. Yeah, I think it would have been similar. I think if Tar had gotten his hands on him, I think Shay probably kills him eventually and then has that same Doru-type guilt of not being strong enough to carry it out herself and save him from the pain. And then she's in a, probably an even darker place at this point because she has the guilt of doing it herself and then also allowing it to go on too long. The sliding doors moment. Yeah. Okay. 
plus like the resentment she would have for Tar and Hilo after that, it would just be like a lot of mess. It's pretty messy. It's a brutal end. I have a question based on her killing of of Marrow and then the way his like death energy or life force enters her. I just like I think it raises a lot of interesting questions about the afterlife in this world because it's like seems pretty definitive evidence of a soul of some sort escaping the living body and then we see it's not just a dream bone thing because it happens when Hilo kills Aini too a similar thing and that stand out to anyone else was Aini not green she was not still has like the life force or whatever they talk about it when they're dealing with like mice and stuff too to a certain degree I just saw it as like energy like mm-hmm. electrical impulse. Yeah, I didn't really think about a solar afterlife. But yeah, yeah, I think that Peter that is a good point too. Like it could just be energy isn't destroyed, right? It's right. That kind of vein I wasn't thinking of. Or I mean in specific electrified meat sacks, right? So it's kind of like the electricity inside. Mm-hmm. Very true. The the other thing to compare between the death of Amy and Mara here as well is actually the jade difference because we know that jade specifically is a power amplifier it's a life amplifier and so it seems like that's also perhaps a, a moment here of sort of the impression that we get because y- you can detect that aura and that physical difference too so there's there's something to the soul of someone who's connected with jade too versus just a general soul and a general life energy yeah if it was purely mechanical you wouldn't have something like stone eyes and the abuke sort of resistance to jade or inertness like if it was if it was strictly a mechanical sort of this deals with the way that muscles and synapses work and amplifies it that'd be a lot more difficult to to explain inertness so Having having a little bit more complicated shadowy soul interactions makes that easier to understand. I think that is the explanation, though, is biological differences in like the Abu K were native to the DNA. Or- yeah, blood and, type. Like, says she knew like rationally she gene. knows stone eyeness is a recessive genetic characteristic. Mm-hmm. Okay, G positive. A little bit of both going on, just like our real world, perhaps. A little bit of everything. I have one last thing on this chapter. I was trying so hard to f- remember my impression impression of Marrow when we first meet him, the first time I read, because I just like obviously did not like him the whole time, this one. And so I was like talking with other people who have read it, and I was like, did I not like this guy the whole time? What's the deal? And I think it was a little bit of both, like, I definitely didn't like him upon first meeting. And then I liked him when we get the little cute little musical bit. And I didn't like him again when I found out he ran away from the duel. And then I was out on him from that point. So I think I was just super out on him. on the reread. Yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, I didn't have a problem with him when you first met him. I thought he was a nice guy. But... Weak-blooded. He got involved with the wrong people. In that, which is also, right? To be fair, 
Kilo also kind of warned about this thing. Like he did talk specifically about some of the risks and why it was also important for Shay to ask for that marriage because then that would bind them together, mm-hmm. it would bind the clan together with them. And Hilo did and kind be of more try to prevent this. Yeah. Listen to Hilo, people. Mm-hmm. Kill kids. Yep. Ask for marriages. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fully reasonable. Well, yeah, that's that's it. That's all we got for you. On to chapter 47. Back to work. Shay is locked in the Withered Man's house, wallowing in guilt, remorse, and sorrow for her actions and Morrow's fate. We learn that she's only left the house to attend Ken's funeral, that Tar seemingly harbors some resentment for how Morrow was killed, and that Wound Poppy is acting as Weatherman in her stead. Paul Maidwen arrives at Shay's house, shaking her sister-in-law from the shackles of her sadness through sheer determination and stubborn persistence. But this chapter, kind of like the first of this section, was pretty straightforward and still very telling and very well-written. And so we already parsed it a little bit towards the end of our discussion of chapter 46, but what do we make of Shay's reaction here? And especially because it is very deliberately compared and contrasted to other death that she's endured. Um, why do we think her reaction to this one is so much more pronounced? Yeah, like I said, I think it's because Mara wouldn't be in the game if it weren't for her. And then also, she, you know, had to kill a defenseless <laughs> person. And then it, it could be also a little bit of like PTSD almost from... Mm-hmm. From doing her duty and like what she had to do. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah, I'd mainly think that it's like I think she always knew that this specific thing was a possibility when she got involved with Mero, and I don't think she wanted to believe that. And so seeing kind of your worst fears come true in a situation where you're like, I probably have seen this coming i think there's just a lot of like regret a lot of guilt guilt yep and i think you can just spend a lot of time second guessing that and that would explain why she's just paralyzed by it do you think there's any element of her now that she is so knocked down and not going 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 is she finally grieving lon and her grandfather to some extent as well or maybe like the added guilt of not reacting this way to their deaths is also feeding this. It's possible, but it could also be like the weariness of more death, more loved ones dying. Like she's cracking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Know that you knowing that you're deep in a fight that's not going to end anytime soon. Right. Like, more people she loves are probably going to die or she might die. Everyone's dying. I, I think there's, there's something to be said about her being like being in the state already that it allows her to grieve the other deaths. But I, I think beyond that, it's just finally having the chance to emotionally look at and approach all of the decisions that she's made and all of the, crazy circumstances she's been a part of, including the the duel with Ite and just 
just everything. And I think make when is kind of the hero of this, of this section again, this, this book, I could see this book. I could, I could agree with that argument. Just being the one that should be by all rights affected by this, the hardest and is the, the voice of reason and has to be. I think it'd be hard for anybody else to convince Shay that she's being a little bit too indulgent in her sorrow. Yeah. To your point, PJ, I think not only is it very likely that when, and that when is the only one who could rouse her from this, not only because of the guilt that her being upright while Shay is down will instill into Shay, but also they have that relationship of, bonding and working together for the betterment of the clan these last six years. They have, you know, the shared love of the nieces, Wen's children now, niece and nephew. They have the abortion and bonding. The abortion bonding. And they have and Wen just like handles it so expertly. Like she doesn't <laughs> bring up any of that. She just is like, Can I work again? Like, what's up? I'm trying to work. Like she just is so normal almost about everything that it has no, like the shocking normalcy of it all brings Shay out of it to an extent. And then once she's out of it, she builds and builds and builds. I wanted to bring up something too. I know that we were talking about the deaths that, that Shay's experienced and, and we've gotten varied reactions among them. Of course, we've talked about the big two, but the third that I want to bring into the picture is lawns, right? And lawns because of its relation to Aisha was, was one of vengeance and revenge versus these other two kind of being outside of it in on either side of the coin has a very sort of different grief cycle, I think, for Shay, not something that she's familiar with. You know, at the very least, she could understand to some degree, given that like the killing of Lon is still not something that was condoned, but it was understood at the very least. It just brings something new to, to an understanding of death in the culture. I also think another way this is different is she's, mourning herself in a way because there is that she had never considered herself a murderer before and now she does so that complicates everything yeah it's kind of bad hey Aaron have you killed anyone lately me yeah I killed a spider wow need them the flies are going to be buzzing about your own I felt bad normally I put them outside but it was in my it was like by my bath towel, and I was like, "That's too close, buddy. Yeah, you gotta, gotta go." Let know. Yeah, cross the line. <laughs> Leave the torps there. So the other spiders before know. you kill them. Huh? She was like, "I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, buddy." Why have you killed anyone recently, Cross? Why do you ask? Not that you could find. Mm. Wow. Where is Bane? Is he safe? Is he all right? Things at home, as far as we know. <laughs> That was an evil laugh. <laughs> They're always evil uh, laughs. I can't help it. The last uh, thing I have for? in this chapter is something that we jumped over a little bit, not majorly. And we have touched on it a little bit, but what do we think going on with our guy, Tar? Hmm. Suffering. I, I, that's it. Nailed it. Anger yeah. leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. <laughs> suffering leads to the dark side. Mm. Mm. 
You think he's going to the dark side? No, I just think he's going to do something freaking in there. Dumb. Yeah. He's just going to pop off at the wrong time and do something. Wheel off and go cavalier and probably do something stupid. Yeah, he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. He does not seem to be here for a long time. Here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's here for a good time either. <laughs> he's here for like a fucked up bad time. He's here for a time. I know the only he showed like, up. romantic. Yeah, the only romantic or like sexual stuff we get from him is with his lover, who he is said to fight with, like cats and dogs. So even that, it's not like bliss or anything great. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of problems right now. We should be in a good place. Last week was all schemes. This week is all fallout. Speech is all damaged. And cracks that are in need of Kinitsugi. What? I said cracked porcelain pots that are in need of Kinitsugi. It's the the Japanese practice of melding together ceramics with gold so that it becomes more beautiful after the fact. Jade and gold? (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) You ruined my metaphor. (laughs) Or did she improve it? They have. They have. Yeah, fair point. But yeah, I think that has covered chapter 47. So, chapter 48, the double-double. Barrow is alive. Barrow is surviving the tacit poisoning due to to his exposure to SN1 and a fortunate combination of drugs Moot had used that keeps him alive and breathing and makes him make it to the hospital. As a result, Barrow is left scarred, jadeless, and absolutely abysmally hopeless. A little piece of shit that he is. He spends months in his apartment as the seasons change before he decides to risk everything at the gambling tables of the Double Double. Being pulled aside by Aiton, he tries to encourage Barrow to live and survive as opposed to chasing down the path of suicide and offering to help sober him up and release him. And Barrow decides to instead tell his full life story, of which Aiton immediately phones the clan over because Barrow turned himself fucking in. (laughs) Wasted. Short chapter, so much happens. Obviously, warnings up top for this for this chapter, this section. But yeah, our cockroach lives. Okay, so when he's sitting in his apartment, I picture this as in Twilight when oh my Edward me Edward too. leaves the season pages when Edward yeah when Edward leaves <laughs> Bella the sad music. and the there's a possibility. This is I didn't know there were words. In that all song. that I, just... I had is all I can get. It's actually a really sad, really well done part where it like spins around, or in the season change, or in the book, it just goes like September, October on each page. Mm-hmm. Every page you turn as a month. Yeah, that like yeah. that's how I felt for Barrow, and then I like felt bad for Barrow. Whoa, that's kind of a revelation. I know. I was like, oh, he's so depressed. I didn't feel bad for him. He's going through it, Ben. I'm I'm team PJ now. <laughs> I all right. I'd like to say I don't genuinely like Barrow. <laughs> I'll take I'll take the not the I'll take it for the memes. But I don't know if this makes me a horrible person, but up until this point I had never rooted for somebody ignoring a plea for help. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I was so I was so glad the guy's just like, all right, and dealt another hand. <laughs> He's like, hey man, if that's what the gods want, the gods. It's uh, like, hey dude. <laughs> Cool, you're right. Yeah, I think he's like our anti-hero. Where like Taylor Swift, he's gonna he's gonna come through. Wow, and we're gonna be like, well, good thing we didn't kill him. I mean, he's already proven that he can give away some good info. All you need is a monkey, then Barrow's on your side. You don't think he's gonna fuck this up again? He's absolutely going to fuck this up again. I was gonna say, (laughs) yeah. I'm, He's going, going to be going surrounded by green bones. He's going to be surrounded wow. by the only thing in the world that he wants more than anything else. He's going to fuck this up for everybody. But fuck what up? He doesn't have anything. Everyone else's lives. <laughs> His life's forfeit for all I care. But he's going to drag more than one person down with him. It's like he irradiates death. He really does. For other people. Yeah. I'm starting to believe Senior Moot, um, Barrow is protected by the gods because he keeps trying to die and he can't. It's kind of unfortunate in a very different way. <laughs> like, it's like, oh my God, I am barely 21, I think is what we get the description, yeah. like his age in this chapter. And which, oh I my, believe he, he was 20. So old. Wasn't he also 21 when. And then arrives in Southtrap. Like the they're age. the same age, yeah. So it also says twenty one here like, for the sake of the of the show, of course. But that could be that it's just a little bit out of the chronological order of things because Barrow's story could be told at a slightly different rate than everyone else's. So yeah, it feels it mostly been, chronological. But the twenty one would have been like right when he gets out of the hospital, and then now this is months later. Yeah. He's a little older. Blah blah blah. Recovery catches us up to this point, which actually makes sense because the the sort of Dio and all of the other stuff happens in the spring, does it not? Or in in warm weather, of course, when they're going out to the park. And so he sees winter change to spring, change to summer. So that means like Bella. Okay, this fits. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like Bella in her in her. I'm going to make Ben watch it. Twilight. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is the second one. Even Ben, you got to watch two. (laughs) I think is <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Just the, the dead watch hand of the it. baseball scene on YouTube. <laughs> uh, I used to work at Blockbuster also- and we it was during the time that all the Twilight movies were coming out, so I feel like I've seen them all. And one day I did have one of my coworkers just while it was very slow. Just I was like, just tell me the story of Twilight, oral history. And they did. So, it was quite incredible. Knows everything. Yep, I'm. I'm. I kind of know about it. And I know about the baseball He's game because that played on our thing like fucking all the time. The looping DVD. So I saw a lot of highlights of that. Really good CGI. Both this chapter and the baseball scene have Monkey Man in it, though. That's nuts. That's True. nuts. How did we? we do that why are we so focused on twilight was that my fault i don't think that was your fault i'm sorry wasn't this your fault yeah we brought us to you so now you're like why are we so focused on twilight (laughs) who's doing was this she says having done that i'm just glad that Uh, other people also feel the same scenes as i do yeah i I totally totally get their mind's eye 
as a youth at one point. Family cash strapped hard up for cash, as it were. Library across the street, very small. One of the movies they had there, Twilight. So I have seen the first Twilight movie a hundred times. I don't need your excuses. One hundred times. So that is why I don't need your excuses. You wanted to watch it. He loves it. We're not saying he doesn't. I also enjoyed the movie. Chose to watch. watch. Don't. It's fine. Cool. All right. But I lied yourself. Back to the back Uh, to the story at hand. Yeah. What are your thoughts on his on Barrow's withdrawals from Jade that we kind of experience over the course of this, right? He begins to kind of experience those cravings in a way that we haven't understood until now. I don't know if I actually read this chapter because the entire time my hand was vibrating from anger <laughs> that he's still alive. So I thought you were no, Team Barrow. I'm kidding. What were his It feels different from from everybody else going through like overexposure and withdrawals and stuff and maybe it's just the the insane amount of SN1 that he's been like priming himself with which they kind of allude to as a reason but I don't know what to make of it other than that to to Aaron's question of like the withdrawal symptoms it comes down to the hopelessness the sort of feeling of like it's the general sort of depression of things in addition to the immediate want or desire to like chase it down right and the and the sort of need of this is the only thing in his life that can bring a meaning of which is why he also ends up going and gambling everything away right so it's this is it's more than just a there's a physical desire in addition to a status desire that happens here sounds like he needs some uppers (laughs) he might I have sort of I don't know if it's not strictly speaking conspiracy corner but i have like an unhinged thought train that just came through here um so barrow as we know wants jade just to have it more or less doesn't necessarily want the powers he, he's okay with having the powers that come with it but that's not the end goal the end goal is really just to wear jade and to be seen with it and to see himself with it right more or less that's a good <laughs> encapsulation of things Fair enough. I think he wants the. I think he also, wants the power. He wants the social. Well, he doesn't. Status, he doesn't really work for it though. Like Moot trains and works hard for the powers. Barrows hit or miss with it. My question is: He's doped up on insane amounts of shine. I wonder if that impeded his ability to use the jade when he did have it. Interesting. Maybe he was overdosing kind of on shine even then, and that's why because he was just like so keen. I don't know. That's what it's. With, a working with cap thought. on it. Yeah, maybe. But, but Lon could still do everything he needed to do. Like, he was deflecting his shit when Andon was there with his shine. I do not know. I would it have was assumed not as that deep in the game there. on a similar, like, shine regimen as Barrow. Poison Jade. But That's what it was. It was Poison Jade. All right. If not poison, cursed? Mm. Haven't talked about curses at all. I don't know if that gets into anything spiritual. Lon says, or somebody says, they don't keep the essence of the people who wore the jade. But who fucking knows, man? I don't know. I'm not a penitent. There's a lot of questions that revolve around sort of Barrow and the addiction and the sort of symptoms of Jade. But I, I think that it's interesting to see someone that's not trained with it and see how that's impacted him over the long run. 
But that said, moving on from that moment, Barrow makes it to the betting table and he bets it all. He's betting it all. He's putting it all down. He's got all this money from the drugs that he's been selling. He's like, fuck it. If the gods don't want me to live, they'll tell me at the betting table. And the dealer even tries to tell him, like, well, maybe that's not a good rationale because, like, the games are loaded against you effectively is what the dealer even alludes to (laughs) in the moment. But, yeah. Barrow's Barrow's never been a good guy, so why would the gods treat him like a good guy, like he like he asks, you know, or thinks? Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about Barrow's big move at the at the betting table of the double? The most likable Barrow's ever been. We've all been at a casino table and been like, "Well, fuck it, I'm already losing. Take it all." Except it's not normally everything we have. True, everything you brought in though. No, I, I bet my sister at a table and she doesn't know yet, so. Did you lose? I did, yeah. Sorry, sister. It's a bummer. Yeah, sorry, Piper. Rip. We'll visit. <laughs> or right, maybe. <laughs> I am anyway. uncomfortable. Do you think they had 1-800 number for gambling addiction That's on off. the wall? Oh, K-Con. <laughs> one hopes the, the dealer could have sent in there I think the dealer did by yeah, the dealer did the he did a hand signal I don't think he actually did but he did something oh he did do a hand signal yeah he did a hand yeah. signal he was like, but he did take a little bit more money from him after the hand signal <laughs> he <laughs> did continue to take a little I mean, bit but... and let me tell you something I respect kind of the hell ex- out of that to be honest with you Aiton yeah. kind of explains like it's bad for business when people off themselves on in the suites or off our yeah. roof. So yeah. like basically like if you're gonna kill mess. yourself, don't do it here. It's disgusting, it's unsanitary, nobody wants <laughs> it, man. Come on. Human blood is very sticky. I think he'd bleed like a cockroach should be black. Gross. Do cockroaches have blood? They've got only two, right? uh, on your I don't know. What do you think? They just got goo? Or- I try to stay far away from them. I think. <laughs> what do you think? They just got goo. They've just got like tar. jello on the inside. <laughs> the only cockroach like, that I like is in Wally. Mashed potatoes, gravy. There's a cockroach in Wally. Yeah, Ding. that's his noise. <laughs> um, He's a little buddy. Yeah, I'm hearing a yeah. lot of noises today. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, yeah. I would like to echo uh. Ben's point that Barrow at the table when he's just fucking super drunk and feeling it a little bit, also the most likable he's ever been. And then he starts talking, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's the worst. <laughs> but before Iton rolls up and he just like keeps taking big old swathes of Hochi and he's just like, he's having a good time. I was like, God bless. Oh, Hochi, take a drink. Bang. Yeah, oh, yeah, great point. There's a ton of Hochi drank. So uh, cheers. I'm taking two. That's so realistic. Did you see the shot, Ben? Check. Love that for you, Ben. Yeah, it was super fast. Really quick. It's really good. Good work. Yeah. I mean, again, drunk Barrow. Best Barrow, perhaps? I mean, I would... Wasted Barrow? I'd hang out at his table for a while until he started getting sad boy on us. We're spouting bullshit. Yeah. He'd start talking politics and be like, all right, well... It was cool while you were cool, but now you're not, so goodbye. Sure you had Jade, bro. Love to hear about it. (laughs) Very, very much the case of I lost my Ferrari. (laughs) I 
I do also want to just like to to kind of round out the chapters. Specifically, I love that it's Aiton, of course, of whom brings him back down to Earth. And it gives it this, despite not knowing that it's Barrow, it is great to see that Aiton has made this a part of his life and this part of his job is, is sort of trying to be that net for a lot of people. There's the convenience immediately of the business, but there's also the sort of nature of him not immediately feeding them into a program, but maybe recommending them to one and, and trying to offer some of that assistance for people of whom are hurting with various things and very responsible, of course, of him and the clan. But uh, Barrow breaks all that down immediately with the tell hall. So <laughs> I want a cool this scene if adapted directed by guy Ritchie because like that that's exactly the vibe that i got off of like these different intersecting plot lines and how they're circumstantially getting intertwined and like they they already were to a certain degree but for some reason all i could think of was snatch in this moment i was just thinking you totally hear turkish being like why don't you have any arms actually <laughs> his friend yeah, oh, what's, what's his, his fucking name? name? Yeah. Mikey? And then, I think so. And then Turkish would ask about the monkey specifically. That's Tommy. That would go. Tommy. Fucking clown. Uh, but yeah, Barrow's, Barrow's fucking tell all. And Aiton, of course. Aiton's a cool motherfucker, and that is a nice monkey. I wish you got the monkey's name. Calling him Furious George from now on. <laughs> his name, and no one can tell me otherwise. Furious can monkeys George. wear jade? I hope so. I don't think so, Peter. <laughs> oh, I want, I want Planet of the Apes, like jaded out Caesar. This this sounds like one of those silly movies that Shay would love at the theater, <laughs> if it, especially if it remained to a musical. Especially if mm. Mero is still alive. <laughs> you had to, you had to bring that dagger home. All right. Well, that's all I have on forty nine. In Barrow. Fucking Barrow. I mean, 48. Favorite character. 48, yep. <laughs> that does bring us to 49. And even more Barrow, unfortunately, <laughs> as we are cleaning out the rat house. Hilo arrives at the double double to finish the interrogation of Barrow. Eventually, Hilo realizes who he's talking to, kind of, but doesn't fully realize the extent of Barrow's crimes thinks of how ironically Lon's optimism has finally seemingly paid off in the form of all this juicy intel Barrow has for the plan. The new information leads all over Jan Loon, including mountain-controlled districts, and the two largest clans work together more or less to root out Sordio, who after being tortured by Tar, reveals everything he knows and is killed by Hilo. A lot going on in this chapter, which I don't think it was too like, very long, three sort of sections. Oh, is Hilo the one who cuts Sordio's throat? I thought that was Tar. Who's Hilo? Hilo, Hilo does in? it, and then Tar's... Oh. Yeah. Sordio, wasn't there, wasn't there some alleged ties to the Mountain Clan? Well, yes. I mean, via we'll Swen and sort of the pressure that was levied by, or like the communication that Hilo and Moot delivered. And Sorgios, so, or he says it was encouraged by the mountain. Yeah. So why did they agree to kind of join forces in this? I 
think. Because a lot of it's in the mountain territory that Hilo can't reach in there. Are you asking why the mountain agreed to it? Yeah. I'd say because, like, publicly they're against violence when it's puts, you know, innocent bystanders, bystanders at risk. Yeah. Yeah, I think they more or less sort of had to. And then also, like Sordio says, as he's like confessing, <laughs> I'm not telling you anything you didn't already know. So it was trying to like, everybody kind of knows what's happening here. Mm. There's nothing more damning. There, there's nothing necessarily war provoking, I guess, from the mountains point of view. I It is interesting that they did so willingly help, but all, it kind of felt like they it could were be like just, PR, like, right? Kinda, they were, yeah, yeah PR, I was just going to say they, PR as well. They knew that if they didn't, war was likely, and he was on the war path here. Rampage. And, you know, maybe the mountain doesn't like an outside smuggler being able to reach so close to mm-hmm. home. Like, maybe they encouraged them, you know, causing trouble, but the car bomb was too far for them. I didn't get the vibe that it was too far. It's just like, I agree with you. It's more of a PR campaign covering up like they're perfectly okay with this, but they just have to act outwardly like they're not okay with it. And having heat on someone like this is a risk for them, potentially. They'd rather devote energy into somebody more unknown. Maybe. Yeah, there's also like, you know, the price of failure for this guy. And also, I would imagine part of the mountain is just like, you know, we're not huge fans of this jade smuggling anyway. If Hilo wants to do the dirty work of putting an end to it, whatever, you know, less work for us. He might get a little weaker in the in doing so. Who knows? But before we get into that, there is the tragedy, to me at least, of Hilo finally having his brother's killer in his grasp and having no idea and being thankful that Barrow is there. Yeah, the him saying, like, oh, Lon was right to let him live. It's like, well, you don't know the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite a tell all that Barrow went through. No. Tell a lot. (laughs) He kept one. Tell most. What are a few secrets between new friends? (laughs) But the quote I wanted to highlight here is I said I'd kill you if I saw you again. Remember? He said in a low voice, he being Hilo. The man's sunken eyes widened, but Hilo released him with a quick shake inside. I guess I can't keep that promise after all. Not after you've been helpful to the clan and with Lon watching. It's just like, God damn it. Sheesh. Making me cry. Tears. Do you think Barrow's like, it's oh tough. shit, Lon's watching? He's like, oh shit, I'm the no. luckiest motherfucker alive. Yeah, he's like, dumb luck of the gods once again. Too slimy to kill. It sucks. And then that sort of theme continues throughout this chapter because we have Barrow basically a ghoul at this point haunting Hilo and then 
they go to meet with now Suen Zen at the factory where Lon's downfall began. And it's just after all these years, six years later, after all this past, just haunting Hilo, following him. He's back. Things are so different. It's back to his horn life. Mm-hmm. Ah, shit. Here we go again. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. So we already touched on, you know, that sort of uneasy alignment or alliance agreement between the mountain and no peach. Got our thoughts on that out there, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But are we surprised that the mountain did encourage Zapunio and Sordeo to strike at another pillar like this? Not surprised at all. I no, is okay. a slithery little snake. Were you surprised? She's willing to try so just quickly? about anything <laughs> that it was revealed so quickly. Yeah. It's like this whole section, there's a lot of things that could be slow played, but we get the reveal pretty quick. Yeah. Not necessarily, I don't think. Like, I I think your immediate reaction. And it's not like she hired them. He said it was encouraged. I don't know. It wasn't like. Off to encouragement. It wasn't like a go kill Hilo. I just think the mountain is. They don't play by the rules anymore. They like to act like they do, but they don't. And well, so I not... I never play by the rules. She out here killing everybody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. She doesn't got no rules. So. That Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. I'm surprised. Like I, I. I'm not surprised. I am confused by the passage of time in this section specifically. It feels really accelerated and time jumpy at times. And then, like, really condensed and fast-paced, and like it—it's all written in a similar tone, so it's hard to really know how much time has passed since the death, since the bombing. I don't know if it's mentioned; it might be, but it, it didn't register with me, and it wasn't like consistent enough for me to really get it. I don't recall a specific time frame being laid out. I think it's been—it's been ongoing, though. I don't think it's. I don't know. If there is a specific timeline that I'm missing, I apologize. I I was under the impression it was kind of weeks. Like less than <coughs> three months for sure would be my guess. It just seems like everything's been kind of going. Yeah. Especially once Barrow but, gave them all the hot spots to Right. But during that time, like in between there, there's the Barrow chapter talking about the passage of seasons. So like is it chronological? Is it simultaneous? Is it just condensed it's hard to know doesn't matter that's true too (laughs) that's a good point a couple it's all last few interesting tidbits here we get a continued longer introduction into juen that started with process chapter where shay kills morrow now we get even more details on him tactical genius it seems like very detail oriented and we also see Lope Jin seems to be continuing his rise in, or just rise at the ranks of the greener side of the clan of Don't Peak. He was getting some torture in, wasn't he? Got his torture badge. Fighting in for sure. 
I believe I called him last chapter. <laughs> Some Eagle Scout shit. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll give him his torture badge. Lochin, Lochin got his torture badge. Listen, and in fucking off the nowhere, Lochin torture badge. Say what you will about No Peak. Here's what they do they got a stable, they have like a deep rotation in their bullpen. They train up their dudes, they train up like Juan's next man up mentality. Beat from Ken. Like, They've got a bench. Yeah. Thinking about that legacy. Juan, he seems like a big logistics guy. What can Juan do for you type situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love. I, I love I love the way this just very casually, it's it's actually throughout this entire section. I've got some moments talking about it later, but just there's a lot of nice things that are just dropped into the background very casually to show that everyone is progressing without like pulling out entire scenes to you know, describe the way in which Lote has become a fist in his own right or a finger. Yeah. Right. Because we did it previous we previous chapters, like early in the book, we do get the, that sort of dedicated page to him in a couple chapters, like specifically highlighting this. And then now, like you said, it's much more casual. And it's, I think it's, it's progressive. Kind of speaks yeah. to why I like this writing so much, family style, because she just trusts us as readers to pick up on things. And I think that's part of why some of the revelations happen so quickly because she knows like, you know, we're fucking smart readers. We're going to assume this happens. Bang. Happened. Boom. Move on. No big deal. I don't have to keep it a secret for hundreds of pages for no reason. Everybody knows what's going on here. And then I don't when she is a little sneaky series to explain a family over two generations, you know? And then when she is a little sneaky, it hits at your heart. Yeah. My last note here is Hilo slits Sordio's throat and Tar pretty incensed about this, pretty angry, pretty upset, or at least annoyed. And in my notes, I have Tar denied justice in quotes once again. Get a grip, Tar. What? I don't think Tar was mad about the throat slitting. He was mad that Hilo was going to bury him, have him sent to family instead of chopped into pieces. Yeah. That's what I read. That was my understanding. I thought because, you know, he already he was torturing him and there was the marrow, the threat of marrow's death being drawn out. I thought that was like the comparison that we're going to have some more torture for Sordio lined up and then the desecration of his body for the afterlife. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was going to upset him. Oh, you do. Go ahead, Ben. I was just going to, I was going to make the same point that Thomas finished with. I thought he was more into the desecration of the body. Yeah. On on the other side of this, this does reiterate what Tar would have done to Marrow without question and maybe with even further gradients of of pain and torture. And yeah. Hilo almost seems sympathetic in in the juice box that, that we approach. Yeah. Such a dad, always carrying around juice boxes. There is that. I think it's more like he's just realistic. More so than sympathetic. Gotta be realistic about these things. Do you think Hilo is gonna tell his sons about how he gave this guy a juice box and then slit his throat? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Nico when he's of age, you know? Like, Nico... Nico seems like you'd hear it, and then Hilo would immediately go into, by the way, I killed your mom. Yeah. And then you killed my mom. (laughs) Nico had heard the story before. And that's why you don't (laughs) steal toys from your brother. 
Yeesh! Chapter 50, Patience. We continue with the purging of the new green from Janloon, led by the Call family as the information from Barrow continues to pay dividends. Shane and Hilo contemplate schemes to kill Zapunio, and Tar wears his pain on his sleeve. He encourages patience on Tar as the revenge against the gangster will eventually come. Later, Hilo meets up with Ven Zondo, pushing and blackmailing him further into making a move against Aitmata. There's this interesting moment that happens almost right away in the beginning that Hilo, as he's retaken his position as sort of the horn on the ground, has also become the more sort of patriotic person among among the clan, among the the folks. And I, I really appreciate sort of the way that's brought to the fold again as, as he's overtaken the media presence, the way in our minds. In between these, like... <laughs> sections where it points out the media coverage and the fact that these are like very public figures. I always forget that. I always just like think of them as sort of underground clan leaders. Like shadowy. And, yeah, exactly. And it's always a little bit jarring, but it's a good reminder when these little it, scenes pop up. Private conversations publicly viewed as very important. I mean, like the the ceremony with with his emperorship that we went through before, you know, is is a great example of reiterating that to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I just appreciate the way that he's suddenly overtaken that. Considering she seemed like the stump speecher, the one who was standing up on the podiums, being like, "We should be supporting Cakeney's only shit," and uh, he's basically by being out on the streets built up the the reputation of the clan again. Go Hilo, Hilo, um, Hilo is horn is where he belongs. It does seem that way. It's not ideal that he's doing what he's doing. To me, I took that kind of as, you know, talking is fine. And when there's nothing going on, they'll get you lots of wins in the press. But once there was an occasion to to like remind people of the role that the Greenbones historically have played (laughs) and what they do and like, this is what being a Greenbone is. Oh, it's like that's what flipped it. That's just the reality of the situation. Boiling it down simply actions versus words, right? Yeah. I love the moment in which Shay and Hilo can, are conversing and talking about sneaking the sugar into his drinks because Zapunio is diabetic. And it just reminds <laughs> me of the same sort of thought process that went into assassinating or attempting to assassinate Fidel Castro in the United States. It just gave me the same sort of things as like the... Could we put dyna- stick a dynamite in the in a cigar or whatever? Like, can we blow up his face in some other way? And all of the different attempts just reminded me of that. And I, I appreciated that. It also like it's surprising how little reach they have outside of KCON and how powerless they are against. This, I think this, this guy, you know, the situation though is tough. He's living on an island. That Hilo got banned from. Yeah, that Hilo got himself banned from. Zapunio did a very good job of making sure that he couldn't be attacked by right. in the first place and by kidnapping the cousin way back at the beginning of the book. It seemed un- inconsequential, and now we're dealing with the fallout. They couldn't have, like, talked to their Espenian military friends, get, like, a black ops team to undercover assassinate the dude. I had the same thought. Well, looking back at that now, it's like what kind of what Cross was speaking to is just it's that seems like a 
well thought out setup on Zapunia's part to keep Hilo out of the country because we were all asking that question. It's like, why would he attack him with the police when he knows they're all going to die? And it seems like he was kind of removes ahead of us all at that point. And in terms of the Espinian black ops team, they, they would only do that if then they would only do that. If no peak, then help them with their war. So, Right. Like, why would Espenians help No Peak if No Peak's not going to invade the country Ortico for the Espenians? Are they not already helping the Espenians, though? Like, they're, but they're they, the they direct ref- something like, more. They refuse to help on the ground fighting and invade. They say, we wouldn't, we we won't invade another country, basically, is KCON's yeah. stance. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, totally totally right and i i love it it makes it so complicated which is why ultimately this book is jade war it's it's the larger problem of what jade brings to the world and the way that the world impacts this again jade war jade city and then you maybe can posit jade legacy but this this sort of larger picture of things as it as it blooms and as it grows to a to a worldly perspective when before it was contained on streets and this is it's it's a different fight entirely mm-hmm. elevated so we've talked a lot about poor tar he's practically begging for a death of consequence at this point willing to be thrown at zapuno for some sense of justice like thomas had made a big point of in the last chapter there's just this sort of need and desire that is propelling him for revenge um, in a way that Hilo hadn't even felt the depths of for Lon, I think, given the way that he is so bloodthirsty for it. Were there any other thoughts in this moment with Tar? You don't necessarily have to linger on it. I know that we've talked about it a little bit, but this is the furthest sort of he's reaching into the depravity of like, just fucking if you're not going to send me with some fists, just send me. I'll just go do it. I'll go die. <laughs> I think you know? A part of that with Hilo, he had responsibility thrust upon him. He had to inherit the the pillarship, whereas Tar is kind of floundering. He, he's what? What's his purpose now? I'm sure is what's going through his head, and doesn't have the the luxury of responsibility to take his mind off of it. I mean, Tar is still the. What's his role? Not Lantern Man, but he's the Pillman. 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 With the na- with the nails. <laughs> so yeah, he's yeah. still high ranking, but it's not like he's absorbed in a new position or like. I think this I is know. just his plea for justice and revenge. For sure, he's not the guy you're looking to to like think something through. I feel like. And again, to reiterate, Hilo asks for patience because Lon's revenge is still in progress. The the revenge of Lon is a long game that is that revolves around him taking down the mountain. And so as such, you know, it's important to realize that that Hilo will make your goals realized over time. Or at the very least, he promises that he will try to. So that's that's the ask of patience and namesake of the chapter. Did you have a song to accompany that, Aaron? I do. What? Do you? Yep. You, you have to you sing can't it. Always get what you want. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get what you need. Exactly. 
Gotcha. He tries sometimes. Yep. We we missed this moment as well earlier, but chapter forty six, unforgivable, just reminds me of unforgettable. That's what you are. Beautiful. But that's it. That's all. Those are all the song titles for this week. I need everyone to I... sing more. Mm. Well, welcome we're all to bad at it the musical podcast. <laughs> we're hitting shuffle this week as we talk about song titles. You know that, like, so there's always like a horrible musical episode, like Scrubs, or <laughs> they always like try to squeeze in. Cross, you keep moving this like shirt sleeve, and I keep thinking someone I is know. standing right there. There's like, <laughs> there's three shirt there's sleeves and they're tangled you. somehow. I'm like, who's I don't know who's in ah! your closet? It's me. It's just me. It's only me. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, totally get it. the The tragic music out musical episode is. I'm gonna blame it on Joss Whedon for the most part, but. As it goes. Buffy. God damn it. Had to ruin it for everyone. That said, to round out the chapter, our final note here. While it has been two years since the conversation with Vensando, we return to it because he has been a little bitch not making any moves. And and Hilo calls him out as such in the moment, which is like pushing blackmail to some degree. It's it's very interesting to quote Straight Hilo up. here. This isn't a corporate acquisition, Hilo interrupted. Ait Mata came from the business side as weatherman, but when her father died, it only took her six days to kill her rivals and take control of the mountain. And it is, it, there are definitely moments of blackmail, but there's also this like, come on, dude, if you're going to ever own it. But Cross, you left out the burn. Time. There's a sick burn. Is it really going to take you two years? What took her yeah. to do in six days? Mm-hmm. But also this straight up, like, she's not going to like hearing about the traitors in her midst. Like, it's yeah. straight up blackmail. And there, there's For some sure. nuance to it and some... Well, like, get to it, Vincendo. But... Get your thumb out of your ass. Like, I'm holding up my end of the bargain. You need to do your part. So it's not full... That's, that's what I mean. Like, it's not full blackmail. There is obvious pressure for blackmail, but... It's like, I've pulled all the strings. He's done his stuff to the Iwi family that he's already promised. He's gone against the, oh my God, K, name starts with Coben family. And so he's pushed against those other families and those other levers. Now it's like, come on, dude, I've given you your opportunity. You got to take it. And he's just sitting there on his thumb. If you want to take power, you can't wait for everybody else to fall in line behind you. Something to that extent. Entirely. Guess that means chapter 51 is up. The Unlucky Ones. Maitwen arrives in Aspenia with a fairly large shipment of jade for the Tispanian allies of No Peak. After getting through security, she meets with Andin, and the pair are joined by Rone Toru in distributing the jade to the equivalent of fists throughout Aspenia. After she and Andin head out. Afterwards, she and Andin head out to grab a bite to eat. All right, they constantly allude to, like, I'll let you show me some good Espenian food. They have yet to describe any Espenian food. <laughs> well, they did vaguely as, as some sort of, at the very first meeting with the Heons, but that was it. Okay. But, it, again, vague. Blank. I want the, the equivalent of Didn't the Heons crispy squid balls. balls. 
the Heons made him food from Taekon, didn't they, to make him feel at home? Yes, but it was contrasted to the food that he'd had there already. So that was the idea. Trying to place it. Yeah. I thought in this chapter was a little judgy. Oh, really? How so? When hasn't she been? That's why she's such a good spy. She just, like, when she's, like, having trouble liking Andon because of what he did to Hilo. It's like, what about what Hilo did to Andon? I also have Hilo trouble liking what Andon. He had to do. And she doesn't seem to have a... She doesn't seem to be on the same page as Hilo is, or doesn't seem to understand the stance that Hilo has taken with Andon regarding his, his prospects for returning. It's very nuanced. Only brothers would know. PJ, can you elaborate on your thoughts? I'm confused. Well, because he he says that and Andon says, I know Hilo won't let me come back unless I agree to be a greenbone again. She's like, No, we want you we want you back. And you you're welcome to come back. We just think you have better prospects here. And like it, it seems like she was kind of sold a false bundle of goods regarding the situation. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. I just took that as, you know, they have those in-bed conversations about what's going on with the clan. She gives them advice, that sort of thing. So I just took that at face value. Okay. Yeah. But up top, speaking of when, she's just really good at this spy shit. There's the cleverness and the deceptive simple simplicity of the plan to smuggle Jade into Taton and how, you know, her and Shay are trying to work out all these complex schemes, and when she's like, hey man, easy peasy, I'll just walk in with it. Mm-hmm. That was some real magician type shit that she was doing there. It was crafty. Nail polish remover. Mm-hmm. Gets Huge. anything off. I thought that was funny. For that reason, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, they have nail polish remover. It also just felt like so counter to the sacred you know like obviously we're well beyond jade actually being sacred and all that and that's just another degradation of it i guess that they spray it with stuff to smuggle it and then put it in nail like soak it in chemicals i enjoyed the idea of jade sniffing dog jade aura Mm -hmm. sniffing dogs i know that was very interesting to me (laughs) i would like that's something I would like a so whole then chapter. P- <laughs> PJ, maybe animals can sense jade auras. I don't know. Is Iton's monkey mm-hmm. going to wield jade? <laughs> if we're lucky, <laughs> so dope. If we really want things to pop off in Jade Legacy, then yeah. It's just gonna be. It's gonna be the scene from Aladdin <laughs> where. How many animals has have been introduced sword. to you outside of the monkey? <laughs> He's just going to put on the jade. It's only right. It's going to be the moment. <laughs> oh, no. The monkey has oh. jade. It's going to be great. I really, really liked the chapter of this, or the title of this chapter, and then how the comparison between when and Andy is drawn, <laughs> and how we've seen, you know, Stone Eyes homosexuality compared before, but this direct comparison and acknowledgement that when and Andon are bonded in this way, despite not really having any bond at all. Yeah, I really like that too. And this was like such an odd pair to see meeting up and hanging out. <laughs> I was like, it was uh, unexpected, but but cool. Hasn't 
Andon been pretty explicit about feeling like he hasn't been treated like he's unlucky because of his homosexuality within his family? Well, it's it, um, not just that. It's also his parents. People well, pulled that. their ears behind him. There is the Hilo. I think there's like a knowledge that Hilo didn't judge him because of that. But also he was embarrassed about it a little in the first book. And then here, I think there's the discussion that he had never talked about this sort of thing with anyone, really. So it's just it's yeah, much fair. like much of Andin's relationship with himself and his place in Taekwondo and his place with the calls. It's very messy and murky. That's true. Aaron, you touched on already. You thought when was being very judgy this chapter and there is that whole her opinion on Andin, how it's changed a little bit. Is there anything yeah. left on the bone for you there? No, it's just, I don't know. You'd think Wen would be more like Shay and like more empathetic to, you know, different paths in life. But I think Wen is just Team Hilo all the way. So it's probably hard for her to sympathize with and inside especially because she's a stone eye and Andon has this opportunity to help the clan by wearing jade and i feel like all Wen cares about is helping hilo in the clan so i think she probably looks down on Andon for turning his back on his family in that way similar to how she was sort of hesitant to trust shay again early on yeah Wen's a believer He's I, all in on the clan. I didn't. I mean, I guess I kind of did take it as her being Team Hilo, but I took it more as like this is why they work so well together and why they're such a strong pair because they have all these similarities like that. But they're just so devoted to the clan, I guess, and like everything's personal in a way. Mm-hmm. Good call out. Wen's appreciation of clan life is just very different in general. And I think, like, we, we've talked often about the way that, like, Hilo views Wen and, like, is very, is enforcing his own personality in, in terms of the relationship and what she's capable of. At the same time, she thinks about some of those things that she's responsible for and then also exceeds those capabilities in ways that she thinks she can. But she's still just operating within the framework of the clan not necessarily breaking the same boundaries that Andin is sort of, I don't know, not necessarily maybe pushing against, but contributing again, like beginning to nudge against to some degree. Yeah. It's, it's tough to parse perfectly at this point to that track. So I just, mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I did. Did the comparison of Lan, of Lan, of Lan and Andin stick out to anybody else? Specifically, like they, she says he he looked more like Lon than Shay or Hilo ever did, despite not being at all. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if it's more of like a general vibe or actual physical look. Maybe because they're both so uptight. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I took it. Like the sad, they're just boy, like solemn, yeah, on their shoulders. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's also a confidence to it. Like he he's or rather a lack of confidence to it where Lon was pretty regularly questioning his position and all of the like 
circumstances that piled against him, like his sleeplessness and things like that. Whereas, but he, but he had to put on that, that strong face. And now Anden is in this position where he's working for the weatherman's office. We haven't gotten to that part yet where it explains it, but he's already there at this point, I think. Yes. Um, and he's he's just kind of in this, I don't know if I deserve to be here, but I have to be here and I'm doing the best I can and fill in the gaps that seem to fit my skill set. Kind of deal. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. One last <coughs> thing here. And then I realized I skipped over the layout was flipped in my head of this chapter, so I skipped over something. But I thought it was interesting how in Jade City we get Hilo being like, You saved my life. I'll never forget and you did a great favor to the clan, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And then half hour later, never want to see you again. You're expelled from the clan. And then here, so it's she'd always be grateful for the part he played in killing Gaunt Ash and saving the clan as well as her husband's life. But then he turned turned his back on the family and left, just like Shay once had. But it's just like that, always be thankful, but immediately again. And it's, that was, I think, why I was so keyed up to be like, oh yeah, her and Hilo, so similar. Wynn's definitely about the business. Yeah. I don't think it's a fair comparison either, though, because Shay actually actively decided to leave. And Andon wanted to work for the clan just without being the green bone, without wearing jade but was exiled out of the country not by his own like accord so there's some pretty stark differences there and saying that's just like shay abandoning the family like there there's some arguments that can be made like his decision to not wear jade could be what she's talking about but i don't know i think the it's it's a pretty false comparison in my head I think that's a more rational read than when and Hilo have on it for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Then, of course, there is the reason when is in Espania to begin with to distribute Jade to the allies of No Peak. There's not like an official clan name for these guys, right? They just call Doubt Losinian the Pillar of South Trap, but they're not like the South Trappians. That's as close as I could get. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, if I were going to name it South Trappy, I would just be South. Sure. Yeah. What about the Kispenians? Well, I think it's. It'd be a little bit more thoughts on that. But I'd like to talk about in the when we get to one of the more famous Kispenians out there, the flitting butterfly himself. But what do we think about this distribution of G to the uh, allies of No Peak? What could go wrong? Yeah, bad idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not have some nukes? <laughs> I thought the way they it was executed it's... was pretty cool, though. Good job, Wen. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. crafty. She's yeah. got some some big balls of spy. And then there's also the very funny, like she's the only one that could handle this insane amount of jade apparently and she just does it very casually and no one else can even touch any of it as long as all of it's like so close to one another and they're carrying it out in in lead-lined boxes 
She just yeah. she just breezes around with it. She's wearing it all. Didn't they say it's like the this approximately the same amount of jade as like the entire jade ceremony oh. at the end of the academy? Yes, I like think it was graduation. half of it. Half of half. graduating class, but an entire Aspenian Special Forces platoon. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people amount. are gonna That's notice what could go wrong. It may notice. And then like we already touched on, but I think it's worth shouting out again. When, in addition to being a badass super spy, has a real job she's gotta do. It's tough. She's got to yeah, go review rough. floor plans. She's a hard worker. You know what that's like? I'm impressed by her. Aaron, are you a spy? I would have to kill you if I told you. Hmm. Sounds like something I else. I feel like spy that's confirmation. That's, yeah. <laughs> I think you told us without telling us, which also well, well, is good. Because then you don't have to kill us. Just the listeners. I'm, I'm pro that. Pro that. Cool. Chapter 52. This is serious. We return to Andy, having moved out of the Heon's place and into his own as his work has begun with KCON Trade Partnership Liaison Office. We get a picture of the fallout of Chapter 44 as the crews have broken out on into a full-on street war, resulting in the arrest of Boss Cromner. Cordy returns home from law school, which is its own fun fact. Uh, and then later, Andin receives a call from the triumvirate leading the clan, needing to help, needing his help to kill a man. There is so much that happens in the space of like 10 pages here. And, and I love it. And this shows that Andin is making big moves. Maybe not himself. He's, he's being made a part of big moves, perhaps. And helping out Hami in a big way, in the way that he initially like onboards some of the families and brings them in, he, he sources the people, but at the same time is not trying to be, you know, a spy <laughs> for the calls. I mean, but he kind of is. He like, is naturally, but I don't think that he actually is. You know what I mean? Like he's not, it's not the part he's trying to play. He's trying to be helpful first. Right, but that's kind of the only thing he can do. He sucks at math and <laughs> like... He's, he's there by obligation. I I would disagree, PJ. I think he's doing a lot. He's kind of like a fixer almost. He's just like say, he's he's special... owning this job. Give yeah. me Wound Poppy vibes. Yeah. yeah. Wound Poppy, that's actually a pretty good comparison. Yeah, because they like that. specifically say it's an honorary. Not, like, yeah. exceptionally smart, but he just gets shit done. I Finding make all the information moves. on the Espenian military <laughs> personnel that raped that girl and is getting getting their getting their due that is definitely a component here as well as like the sort of we we talked this this is an interesting extension of sort of the marrow conversation we see foreign clan justice enacted it took a longer time than it may have to like for instance extract marrow's family but it still happened, which is to say that it's not impossible and that they can reach far when they need to. They just need some roots. And to be fair, they maybe don't have the Shatarian roots that they need to to make that move on behalf of the kids. But still, it could happen. Could have, if you would have asked, if you would have been part of the family. Yeah, I think for that specifically, I feel like 
I don't know if anyone would like the solution, but I feel like at the very least, Hilo would have offered to like marry Mara. We'll bring his family here. We'll protect them on the tall estate. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there was a would have been another thing. Yeah. But this specifically the moment in which the sort of justice is enacted for the soldiers violence on on Yuman Island, I think calls that out. Beyond that, we we obviously talked about the fact that he's not necessarily a spy, but is just by the nature of being a call. I think that there's no part of Andin that would sell Hami out unless it were something egregious. It, it feels very much like a helpful thing, wherein Hami instead feels very paranoid about it. But I don't think that's really the intent. I don't think that anyone is intending for Hami to feel paranoid. I misunderstood what you meant. I meant he's going in like recon missions and like spying. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Within yeah, the community. That, not that on Hami. Yeah. yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Not okay. on Hami. Yes. Sorry. Yes, yes. Sorry for the confusion. Yeah. It's it's not a psyop on Hami. Yeah, that was that was my point. Yeah. Yeah. I think Hami's right to know that a call is there. Mm-hmm. So he can't do anything yeah. totally. Obvious. <laughs> There's that smallest bit of pressure for sure. So then we kind of get into a phone call and a conversation with Corey about sort of his party boy nature while he's been at college and sort of that display, but also his sort of moral philosophy on things. What do we think of his opinion on living on KCON and his, you know, at college, not playboy necessarily, but I don't know. He's, he's just going to college. He's doing the thing. What do we think? Be a toppers experience. <laughs> toppers, bro. I can't do the toppers. <laughs> oh my god. I don't I don't love any of the Spinian slain. I don't like that he still oh calls him from. I don't like toppers. Toppers is bad. Toppers is weird. It's it weird. just seems sexual, which would make sense. Like if it was used in a sexual nature, I think I'd like it more. But it seems it sexual like and poppers. it's not used that way. Yeah. I just think of that fucking pizza chain. I think Corey is very unserious and he's like, oh yeah, I I would, I've never been to a foreign country. That sounds exotic. Oh my God. Let's go party on the beach in KCON. And, and like, no dude, like you'd probably get murdered. Yeah. You'd have to like, love me. He did seem to take it as like a vacation, not as a, like we're moving here. Or understand, kind of like, what wearing jade on KCON means. But, like, how could he? The same True. Time? Yeah, I'm not expecting it. I'm just, like, that's part of his frivolity. Mm-hmm. I think he could understand if he, like, trip. paid attention to his dad or Roan or anyone mm-hmm. who's very serious about jade. Yeah, I think he's yeah, he his dad's a better idea. got a pretty good, like viewpoint of Corey as he is. I feel like his dad's got him kind of pegged like <laughs> truly, especially when we get into fifty three, yeah. of course. Like it's very clear that his dad has him <laughs> pegged might not be the best word. I know. Out. I yeah. was like, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> oh no, I got you. Yeah. I I appreciate that sentiment because it does feel like Corey in part 
in the same way that Andon has the rebellious emo teen sort of nature to him, even though he's in his 20s now, Corey has the sort of party boy, like, I don't need to respect my parents for different reasons or like where they come from. And there's an interesting conflux of emotional and moral reactions to the idea of like going to KCON where it's like, is it a vacation or is it super serious? And, you know, that's a relationship boundary that obviously is is a problem as has been brought up before. So this chapter also highlights something that I love, which is the way that the war is brought into the foreground very casually via the TV, via radio calls and other things like that. We find out that there's pressure for the Espanians to withdraw from the war in Ordecon based on a number of different factors. We kind of get like our updates piecemeal from TV and from other small things that makes this story really make it clear to you that the focus is on the individuals that are here and not the bigger sort of political macro picture. We're always trying to make it make it work in a small lens and a big lens at the same time. Yeah, it was kind of nice to get the the snippets of, of newsreel. Yeah, times progressed. Everything's moved. Of course, the war has changed. Mm-hmm. So we moved think- to the final moment. Of- oh, go ahead. Do you think that, that, that in Espania they call Cantonese food freedom food now because they're mad they won't help out more in the war lord <laughs> yes French. i hope so <laughs> absolutely not, very i am not one for headcanon most times but that is my new headcanon <laughs> <laughs> definitely seems like something a spinia would be into love it you're totally right it it does ha- it shares the same sort of thing, same sort of argument, the vibes. So to round out the chapter, we get the call from the calls and a man's death on the other end of the line. And this is this whole thing of hand and we know you really haven't been a part of the clan like proper. You haven't been a part of the scheme, so to speak. We brought you in slowly and gradually. You don't have to wear jade. But unfortunately, we're going to need you to like take part in this next death. Again, books and climaxes. We compared this to Jade City. We don't even know the outcome of this, but it feels like we're getting shoveled back in to an Ash situation. What do you think? This is even more explicit, though. Here, we didn't even really know what Anden was up to with the Ash situation. I like that it's like a Zoom call with your three bosses. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, they've never all called me before. And we need you to kill a guy. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it was funny. Like, hey, Andy, you're on with <laughs> the weatherman and the horn <laughs> and Hilo. And Hilo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, Fuck, what I do now? Yeah, I mean, the reason one of the reasons Andon doesn't want to wear Jade is he doesn't want to be a killer. <laughs> so he also doesn't want to go insane and have the itch- itches, but. Now yeah. they're asking him to be a killer again. Or at the very least contribute. You said you want to be Just part to be of the clan. Accessory. Mm-hmm. And it, it went through the progression of like inform on these guys and they'll see some pretty violent not deaths, but outcomes. And then well what what's the step up from there, you know? And in earlier in the book does tell Corey that it's not that he didn't want to be a killer. He didn't want to enjoy it. Yeah. 
So that's why he doesn't want to wear the jade. So I, I think this is within his moral compass. I think he's fine with this. I think so too. It's fair. Makes I think sense. his primary aversion ad- ad- is becoming obsessed and, mm-hmm. and following in his mother's footsteps. To that point, if the car had exploded with Wen and the kids in it, do you think that would have been enough for him to put on Jade again? And counterpoint, or a follow-up, do you think Hilo would have allowed him not to wear Jade if his wife and children had been murdered? I don't know if Annan's close enough. He hasn't even met his nephews or niece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't see that inspiring him to wear Jade. No, but I could see... I could see a straight-up ultimatum coming from Hilo. I just see Hilo a lot more difficult to... Yeah. Hilo would go get himself killed over that, yeah. Okay. Even Tar right now is bad. Imagine Hilo in those circumstances. Yeah. I feel like Hilo might try to just put on all the JD cannon and go out swinging. That's what I'm saying. He's the whole yeah. gonna die pretty quickly. Yeah, after I'll that. put on all of the jade in our treasury. Bang, yeah. bang, bang. Scarface it. For sure. That brings us to our last chapter of the week. Chapter 53, Sins and Compromises. We learn that No Peak finally has a chance to strike at Sapunyo directly, and Andin, acting as an emissary between the two clans, goes to doubt. Losingin and Doubtsana to ask for the aid of Lone Toru in carrying out the killing. Doubt Losingin asks his wife to leave and has a heart-to-heart with Andin, telling him how he came to be the Pillar of Southtrap, the origin of his bond with Roan, and ultimately asking Andin to break up with Tori in exchange for this favor. The next day, Andin breaks up with Tori over the phone, wanders about in the rain, and phones his cousins to let them know he had secured Doubt Losingin's aid killing Sapunio. Heavy chapter, I would say. Yeah, a little bit. So, if anything, I feel like I should have seen it coming a little bit more of how negatively Corey's father looked upon his homosexuality and bisexuality, but yeah, that well, that part of that. Yeah. Yeah, like in retrospect, how cagey he was about like answering questions about what his parents would think and things like that. It makes sense. But I had just gotten lulled into a sense of security like, yeah, things are a little bit more progressive than they're being like presented and maybe they don't have to worry about their... I thought the worst Ugh. part of the story was Dauk saying that Corey's basically at their curse. Like, they waited so long right. to have a son and then he's mm-hmm. like... A waste of space. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seemed almost like who Corey is is the disappointment. And then adding to that is his bisexuality, I guess. I think, too, it, it goes down to he's our only son. So he has to, mm-hmm. and he's the only one who wears additional viewpoint. He's the only one who wears jade. So he needs to have like kids and- have kids and pass oh. his jade down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of how I saw it. I didn't see it like yeah, necessarily like so homo. I was like majorly homophobic, I guess. But I may be giving Dauk the benefit of the doubt on that. 
Uh, I mean, the, the, the phrase was literally, he needs to stop messing One around second, with men. <laughs> what was that, PJ? It, it, what he said was, he needs to stop messing around with men. Yeah. Yeah. As like the crux of the argument. Right. I didn't. I guess I didn't see that as like the crux of the argument. I just saw that kind of as a thing that was mentioned along with during. Yeah. And I think the thing that he has the most issue with is just like kind of the lack of direction and just kind of like the frivolous, frivolous nature of Corey's life and like that he's a party boy and that he's just kind of like a chill bro, <laughs> you know, like cappers. Do you think that if Corey was more serious and like maybe exclusively into men, his father would be more understanding of it. I don't. Yeah, I think possibly. I I do think that's maybe like I think that is a piece of it for sure, probably. But I do think he wants him to have children, right? So, like, right. yeah, I think because he's the only green one. Like, if his daughters were wearing green, maybe it wouldn't mm-hmm. put so much pressure on Corey to be the one to pass on the. Kekanese mm-hmm. Jade. I mean, he's obviously asking Andy to break up with Corey for a reason, and presumably that is that yeah. Corey, at least in his own way, is taking this relationship seriously. I think that if he was more green and like pursuing, you know, like a role within, I don't know, the clan or whatever, not the clan, but just like kind of doing what his dad wants, I think he'd have a better chance of like being able, his dad would be more understanding of his relationship with another man, but mm-hmm. I think that he's still an old fashioned mindset and that he was going to want kids and grandkids. I mean, he's going to want them to have kids and grandkids and that kind of thing. I also think, I think PJ, this was your point that I think, did you say you were giving, you were like lulled into thinking that the world and doubt were more progressive than it turns out that they were. Yeah. So I think, Corey, to an extent, was also sort of of that, unless that's just how he was selling it to Andon, because he keeps saying I, like, as long as I wear jade, I'm get away with anything. Yeah, but it was like in retrospect, I think that feels like deflection and not not, not steal. <laughs> I was just about to make that joke. It feels yeah, like a a way of shifting the conversation away from their relationship mm-hmm. and towards literally anything else. Okay. That makes sense. Steering us back to the set of that. And unless the first thing that jumped out to me was just doubtless in story and like the decision to have his wife leave for the first time as Andon calls out and there's the setup of, you know, Andon won't compromise. I'm putting Jade back on because obviously doubt knows he has been trained to wear Jade and hasn't put it on and doubts like, I mean, you could, if this is so important, you could put on Jade and kill this guy. Right. And he's like, that's the one thing I can't compromise on. So it sets up the story of the one thing doubt can't compromise on. But what do we think of this origin story for our guy? The pillar of South trap. It's pretty dark there. Pretty heavy. It's not very like epic. It's just, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's and yeah, like a sad way to power. I know it was just like sad and dark and just like, God damn. 
<laughs> and to be living with that that whole time that really informs his character a lot and it's just like wow that guy's hiding a lot of pain and it also shows why Roan isn't a good father because he has to dedicate his whole life to serving Dauk who saved his life once like 50 years ago like my guy let it go I told you it was a Chewbacca life debt situation (laughs) that's you literally made that call (laughs) and both Thomas and I flinched and then we got over we tried to like not react that's why uh, I usually I just hide here so I can do my little my little mouth gestures we had a moment we had a moment yeah we looked at each other deeply into each other's eyes does he know I know a Chewbacca Uh, life debt when I see one that's for sure I I'm not sure what to make of Sana being their best friends excluded from this conversation. If she knows the extent of it or knows vaguely what happened, but doesn't know the specifics. Seemed to me that move was based in he doesn't want her to hear this story. <laughs> but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but she's she she, she nodded know. knowingly. That's true. Like she didn't he didn't want her to like relive it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or, or if she just knows Corey big parts part of it. it. Mm. That could be too. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't I feel like she knows everything though. It's like Dauk's like, let me let me get one on one with this kid. Hmm. Put the pressure on. So yeah. in my notes, it took me a second to cobble together the thoughts I had at the time when I wrote it. <laughs> and we already touched on this a little bit, trying to interrogate whether we thought Doubt's motivations were pure bigotry, whether it was there was something else behind it. And so I have a quote on, on in the ebook 506 to 507 that I think kind of colors things a little bit for me on how this goes. And so it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. It's in the middle of a quote from Doubt Losen Yin. And it's, it is right after that. Okay. I've been indulgent of him, but he needs to stop fooling around with men and take his responsibilities seriously, which is already been touched on here. He's the only green bone out of all four of my children, as undeserving and ignorant as he might be of what it truly means to wear jade and how important it is to our family's identity. He's not green enough for the old country, but that doesn't matter. He can still have a good Espanian life, a career that puts the expensive luxury to use. Children someday, if the gods are kind to us. He's not for you. You are sure to return to Jan Lud eventually, but his place is here. And so I kind of took that as him seeing Andon as a threat to kind of take his son away from him, take him to Jan Loon where he'll get killed. And so I saw it in addition to everything else as maybe there's an element of him being a protective father in this moment as well. But protective of his son or protective of his bloodline and legacy? I think a little of both. Yeah, I would agree. It's a little both. Like, I don't think that he Maybe wants Corey getting, like, he wants him to be green and he wants him, but like in the Espanian way. Like, I don't think he wants him to be like on KCON being a gangster. And so I think, I think like, Dow and Hilo agree that Corey is not green enough. He doesn't have thick blood. No, he'd go to Kaycon and flirt with somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend immediately, yeah. and then dead. Dead. 
challenge to it. Because he tried to, blade he made a joke about being toppers. <laughs> and they'd be like, what, what do you mean by toppers? And he'd call someone a crumb, and they'd be like, oh my god, this guy's dead <laughs> immediately. Toast. So yeah, I agree. It is. There's an element of protection there as well. And then that end, that little tense, very tense exchange ends with Andon being like, hey man, can't make any promises now. Let me get back to you. Flash forward, calls Corey. Lady, a girl answers the phone. They have a private talk and catch a knees. Bam, broken up with over the phone. Bells for Corey, I guess. Tough to get broken up with over the phone. Could not be me. Yikes, Corey. No, feels bad for Corey. <laughs> Didn't broken up on the phone. I don't feel bad for Corey. He's a playboy. Yeah, he might have been cheating again. I thought he disclosed way too much information. You could just say, yeah, you're fooling around. You don't have to like go into detail. Yeah, it felt like one time more like giving up too much information to sell a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Remind me of like when NBA players hit one another and then they're trying to sell that they that it was an accident by purposefully not looking. And it's like if you hit somebody as hard as you did and like you would look if it was an accident because you wouldn't be expecting it. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like that same oversell, making it more obviously fake. Yeah. This could be why I'm a bad read of character. Got it. Got it. Keeping that in the back of my mind. Just, just kidding. That, that, was a, <laughs> that was a bit. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but this, I think this section, specifically after a dump story and then runs out into the rain once again. So and emo. And calls his family. I think this is the saddest and like most heartbroken I've been for Andon. Most I felt for him. Sort of genuinely, yeah. I was just surprised that he broke Corey's heart and Corey didn't break his heart. Yeah, you take a it drink, looks. you thought Corey would be the heartbreaker. Sure, 100%. Heartbreaker. I totally thought so too. I was like, good for you, Andon. Corey is yeah. kind of the heartbreaker though. He's Oh, sucking and fucking at law school. <laughs> Basically, was already like, I'm fucking around on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not right. <laughs> yeah, but it's not serious. Yeah, so we know Andon's hot, so he he will be fine. PG 13. <laughs> I don't think it is PG 13. I mean, the episode. Is, oh, this is oh, the episode is highly explicit. So on the rails. We're responsible <laughs> as hell. I blame most of the tea just fully reasonable did anybody notice any potential parallels between how this ends and how another section of andon's life ends did he run away in the rain when hilo yelled at him he did there's that same kind of numbness not realizing what he was doing wandering for hours and hours He's a feeler. I've got a breakup ritual, you know? I don't know. Is <laughs> anyone else? I think Andy does, too. I think Andy's found his. It's the rain. And then it just, he had the bad luck of being in an Aspenia, so the rain's actually cold here. Right. Yeah, I definitely have a sad boy routine. Feet in the water. I've never been broken up with. He well, did it. I'm, Tragic. I married my only boyfriend. So. Oh, okay. My sister, too. I understand. I married your sister. Not all of us are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Piper. I definitely have a sad boy ritual. I mean, it's been a while since yeah. I experienced a breakup, but. 
so I don't really remember oh, right. how I reacted, but <laughs> was it raining? Got did you run around in the rain? I will tell you, I got broken up with many a time, and I just have a many a dramatic sad boy reaction to them running around in the rain. I'm not sure. I I don't like rain, but more like you know spending time alone. Yeah, eating pizza. Pizza's good for happy or sad. Usually eating like an entire pizza. Yeah. I like that. Is it worth it? Can you hear me? (laughs) That's the last time I'll sing. I promise. It makes me cough, so I need to stop. Pizza is good for happy or sad, I think is. That's it's the, a uh, good tattoo. Yeah. Great way to end it. Put it on a shirt. Yeah. Print it on the shirt, kid. But yeah. It's just, you know, and in his first relationship, his first sort of love, closest he's been to love at least, ending, and then he's through his own fortune, like good fortune. He's not living with the Hyans anymore. He's on his own. And he's just in this moment, soaking his feet. After while like wandering around in the freezing rain for hours, knows his family back home should is like celebrating. It's beautiful. Katon's warm, and he's just alone, calling to be like, "Doubt Losinian will do what you want." And they have no idea what he had to sacrifice. And it's just so heartbreaking to me. Either way, Corey was. It's not going to last, though. So right. Better to rip the bandaid off. True. Mm-hmm. No debate there. All right. Bring us to the end. Yeah. All right. With that, closing thoughts. Who won the week? Who won our week? Come on. I don't know, man. Is I this think, like, a week? when? I think it was when again. again. How did she win? Her fucking brother got exploded. Though. No, but she smuggled all that <laughs> jade. That was tight. Do you, she pulled Shay week? out of her bedroom. <laughs> Is this like who we rocked with the most this week, or is it on like textually who did the best? I forget. Whatever you like. Yeah, I think it's your own criteria. I think when then, because she held herself together like a champ. She encouraged bloodbath, love that for her. She did cool spy shit. She saved the kids. Stay back. She did cool. She she got her group design shit again. Oh man. Yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of a case say, for anybody else. I, right. I, I was gonna say Shay. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Shay for meta reasons. Like the meta, Shay gained a lot from this week. Ultimately, like she she regained some confidence from the clan side of things. Not herself, obviously. She fails in a lot of ways, but I, I think that at the same time, she's owning her mistakes and decisions, and also is coming to understand her place in things. She's owned that she's a green bone now, I think, to some regard. and that, That's a part of her life by base. So, But my first pick would also be when. What I was saying is is that I would choose when. But if I had to choose yeah, anyone else, Shay is my second place. I don't know. To quote somebody that I don't recall from The Sopranos, my opinion is of her fucking plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but here's another wild card. Shout out is Juen. Promoted, good for him. Showed up, you crushed know, it. To some degree, you know, made good networks with the weatherman, fostering the good relations once again. His boss is like tactical genius. Good look for our guy. Didn't get murdered by now Sue. We could say Hilo won because he's like 
I don't think so, but maybe. He's good in the public's eyes because he's defending his own and people see him as honorable in the media. Mostly lived. Juice boxes. PJ and Aaron, I didn't get your specific choices. Ben, Ben is full in on when. It I said like. when. I was also. I think everyone. When? Yeah. Okay, we're all when except for. Okay, got it. Cool, cool, cool. Neat. Everyone loves when. when. Just, just want to double check. No, it's fine. When, she also when, got when. the most coverage on like the most different plot lines throughout this story. Like she was, sure. she was there with Shay. She was there with Hilo. She was there with, with Tara. And with Ken. Yeah. With the car. Yeah. In memoriam, Ken. We hardly knew you. We never got to meet your baby. It's tough. It was mm-hmm. a loyal horn, a loving brother, and a wonderful uncle. Here, here. He tried. Rip in peace, my friend. Rip in peace. <laughs> Next week is our final episode of Jade War, where we'll be reading the third interlude through the end. So reading the final part of this book all in one chunk here to wrap it up. And I'm so excited to finish this and to get into that. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, as ever, to the wonderful producers of Atomic Pylon, Tim and Andrew for helping my fine friends here keep their shows going. Also, be sure, there's links in the show notes. I don't know if anyone's aware of this. Check those out, because they're not just there for no reason. They actually have a schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, websites, and social media links, all in one convenient spot. And that's pretty fucking cool, rad, and dope. And it's not just for us. It's for Howler Pond. It's for High Key Obsessed. They're on each of the episodes, of course. We we were so appreciative of you guys being on the show. You can find Words and Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Words Whiskey Pod, Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com. If you want to send us any questions or thoughts, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Dear God, we know that there are so many of you that listen to this, and we only have like 70 or 80 reviews. And, and count the numbers. five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, then <laughs> I guess we'll blow your car up. <laughs> allegedly for legal reasons we will blow your car up but it is not our fault for blowing your car up it is your own fault because you didn't leave a review five stars only other than that you can find our t-shirts on Public. with that we'll see you next week bye 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 love you bye